How is tonight? How's tonight for everyone? Let me go ahead and get my webcam on, because as usual, stuff is all goosed up. I don't like to keep my webcam permanently connected. It makes me uncomfortable. Just having it, like, on all the time. Don't love it. On. Hello, everyone. I hope you are all doing super, super well. Um, Discord, can you all hear me okay? Just want to make sure. I was on, I was on a Discord call earlier. And uh, I'm just trying to make sure that things aren't weird. Like somehow my audio got goosed up. I don't think that would have happened. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And uh, I had a gentle reminder. Maybe not super gentle. I had a I had a reminder about my mic discipline. And not to not to be touching it and fiddling with it so much. So I'm gonna take that advice tonight. I'm gonna not fiddle with my mic nearly as much as I usually do. At least I'm going to try. So, feel free. If y'all hear me... Goobering around with it tonight, go ahead and feel free to just uh, send me a mic emoji or something when I see when I see the mic emojis. Or stickers in Mixer. Then uh, that'll be a good reminder to, to not mess with my stuff so much. How's all y'all how's all doing? Odd Man, Michelle... Shehanigans, <laughs> Gwen Dog. Uh, I'm just gonna call you 22 for these streams. You with the tiger. Um, I don't. I I genuinely don't mind that one. But I think for the sake of of keeping these at sort of, I try to keep everything at the sort of rating of the rating level of the book itself. So I'm just gonna call you 22 for right now. Um, but uh, Gwen Dog, Dusty Giraffe, Jesse Cat. Uh, all these, all these people in uh, in Mixer, curliest steak. Um, interesting, and yeah, I. Okay, okay. Now, curliest steak. Let me know if you change your username because I want to know. Um, curliest steak is my one hundredth follower on Mixer. We got it, folks. <laughs> Woo! Uh, Cube Master Bold has been um, auto-hosting me pretty regularly. So, Cube Master, I, I don't know if you're online right now, um, but thank you very much. I appreciate that quite a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, Curliest Steak. Let me know if you change that username up. I want to I keep an eye on you. You are the 100th follower on Mixer. And then, of course, in the live stream, I, I see in the live stream channel on Discord, we've got Rain Man, Ash, Debbie, Hearthook, Jade Dragon, MMP, Muffin Man, Rachel, Sarah, Liliana... Sarah, 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 Elena, <laughs> Sarah, Elena, I gotta slow down, gotta slow down, okay, Mixer isn't loading, so I'm hearing, uh, some in Discord, yeah, that's alright, uh, looking forward to hearing it live for the first time, wonderful, yeah, and it might take a second for, uh, Discord to kind of, for, excuse me, for Mixer to kind of settle in. It can do that sometimes. And, uh, if you do decide you're going to jump in from Discord onto the Mixer, uh, just don't forget you do want to make sure to unmute me because it starts default muted. Now. I hope y'all are having a great night. I know I am right now. Um, I am super excited to be doing the final chapter of the night, of the, of the book, of the book. Of book five, can you believe we got through this? When I first started this, I anticipated um, I might get through book one. I thought I might. I wasn't sure. 
And now here we are at the end of book five. I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie too. I think book five has felt like kind of a blur to me. It feels like book five has gone really quickly. Is it the same for anybody else? I felt like I felt like, you know, book um let's see, which one is Goblet of Fire? Which one is Goblet of Fire? That's three, if I remember correctly. Or am I am I goofing that up? That's four? Okay. Story cat, thank you. Um Goblet of Fire felt like it took a long time to me. I don't remember. Let's see. I've also got I've I've got a, a notably bad memory. Um, book five dragged says two sharks. Um, and Ash is wondering, are you going to start book six next week, or are you going to use the drawing? Um, oh, and are you going to use the drawing? Yes, I'm starting book six next week. We are we're, we're barreling down the track, and uh, yep, I've got it saved up. Um, I'm going to check on that because I did change systems. So if I have to ask you for that again, Ash, would you be able to send it again? Um, I just want to make sure that I've got the uh, uh, the good copy of it because when you blow stuff up to the full screen size, it can be uh, it can get a little fuzzy if I'm working off of like uh, a bad file or something. So I'm going to double check that and I will let you know if I need it again. Uh, StoryCat says, what do you use to read on? And uh, 22 says, you're amazing. Thank you for reading. Of course, I love it. Um, but uh, StoryCat, uh, do you mean like what, where, what, where do I keep my words that I'm reading from? Or do you mean like what is my casting program? Um, I guess I could just, it's not that complicated. I'll just, I'll just tell you the whole thing. So um, I used to use OBS to, to stream. Now I use Streamlabs OBS. It's slightly different. The user interface is slightly better. It doesn't allow me to do certain things. Um, for instance, I can't, you, you all may have noticed that, uh, the, the donuts haven't been around in a while. And that's partially because, uh, of some, some goofy things within Streamlabs OBS. But overall, I think I like it better. It allows me to do my, my, uh, chat right in the program and all that. So, that's nice. It's just fewer windows to have open at once. And then as far as where I actually have the words displayed for me to read them, I use, uh, I use a PDF. I use Foxit Reader, PDF Reader. Um, and uh, for some of the other ones, I've actually had to build my own PDFs because I can't find ones that are quite right. The one I'm using right now for Harry Potter is okay. The PDF is. The program is great. I really like Foxit Reader, F-O-X-I-T. And... Um, like it's it's a it's a really solid one and it's free so I enjoy it a lot. But the PDF that I'm using for for this one, welcome to Scooter Patrol 22. <laughs> um, the uh, the PDF that I'm using it's a little tight, so it can be a little tough to read sometimes. Uh, you know, especially if I've been reading for a while and the the uh, what is it the the drag of it starts to get to me then. It can get a little, it can get a little cramped, but in general, it's okay. So, um, it's going to be a pretty long stream tonight. I'm not going to lie. We've got a couple of, we've got a couple of chapters, but I knew I wanted to do them both before the end of the night. Ooh, I've got some, some heavenly key lighting now. Um, I hope, uh, I hope y'all are doing well and we're going to get started on our, uh, our summary. Let's get into it, shall we? I don't know why I'm doing this. This is my, this is my. I look like an anime character or something. What am That's I your, doing? I can't touch the mic, so I gotta touch my face. That's you know, that's not a bad read on it. I think that's probably exactly what it is, because I want to just be, I just want to be getting in there. 
I feel like I feel like a wizard. I just have to have my my staff in hand. But no, it's got its own magical powers, and it needs to be undisturbed. So, let's leave it undisturbed for now. Let's let's do a summary, shall we? Okay. So, last week, chapters thirty-five and thirty-six. And if you're just coming in here from uh, YouTube, then welcome, of course. Uh, if you are listening to this, to this one right now on YouTube, that means this is from last week, and it means that right after this one is over, we're going to be starting on the next book, so get over to Mixer, get over to Discord, do it! Alright, chapter 35, Beyond the Veil. So, um, we left on a cliffhanger the year, the, the year, the week prior to this. Um, chapter 34 ended with, would you mind shutting that for me, please? Thank you. Um... Chapter 34 ended with a cliffhanger. We had um, Harry, Hermione, Ron, Luna, and Neville, and Ginny. Uh, they are all in the, the Ministry of Magic. They're in the Department of Mysteries. This is where Harry has been seeing his visions. He's, he knows that Voldemort wants something in here, but this is where he saw um, Voldemort was torturing Sirius Black. That's what he saw. He saw that in his vision. But he gets there and there's nobody there. What's happening with that? What's the deal? By the way, blessed conch. Um, good to have you here. Good to see you again. And then Gwendog, welcome. I hope you're doing well. Glad to have you here. Um, I'm curious about uh, what group has suggested my name, but uh, you know, feel free to share that or not as you will. I'm glad to have you here. Um, we've got, uh, yeah, Linz has got a good question in Discord. How's everybody doing in quarantine? Go ahead and throw that up there. I'd love to hear how everyone's coping. Um, but we ended on that cliffhanger um, where Harry finds that Sirius Black isn't here. Neither is Voldemort. And then suddenly people start to appear out of the shadows. Um, at the beginning of, the, of last week, we learned that these people in the shadows, they are Death Eaters, of course, uh, led by Lucius Malfoy, it looks like. This is um, uh, Malfoy's dad. Um, Draco Malfoy's dad, and we have uh, a confrontation. Apparently, the Death Eaters want Harry to hand over this prophecy, because apparently only the only people who can handle a prophecy are the ones who are, no, who are named, I guess, within that prophecy. So apparently they can't go and get this thing themselves, but now Harry's got this prophecy in his hand. It's just a weird little dusty glass ball. Who knows what this thing is about? Um, all he knows is this is his one bargaining chip. This is how he's going to, um, this is how he is going to get him and his friends out of here. If anything's going to do it, so um, they end up in a mad dash through the various rooms of the Department of Mysteries. Um, they have got uh, crazy things going on in some of these rooms. Time-altering artifacts. Uh, there's a room where um, they've got there's a, there's a, a tank full of brains with sort of filmy tentacles. Things are wild here. They they uh, have a chase. A number of them are injured, and Harry ends up uh, basically alone. You know, Neville is trying to help, but basically Harry is the last one with any real agency. Uh, in a room with a uh, kind of shaped like an amphitheater is how I imagine it. Um, and at the, the center of it, or at the, the sort of central point of the amphitheater, um, oh, you've been suggesting it to, you've been suggesting me to them, says Gwendog. Well, I appreciate it very much. Um, but we end up at the, uh, in this room with this, uh, at the central point, there is an archway with a veil, a black veil. And 
After a fight, um, Dumbledore shows up, people are distracted, um, uh, people from the Order show up, and um, people from the Order show up first, and then as Dumbledore shows up, everyone stops fighting, uh, except for Bellatrix and Sirius Black. And Bellatrix gets in a shot on Sirius Black, which stuns him for a moment, and he falls through the veil and disappears. That was the end of chapter 35. At the beginning of chapter 36, Lupin is holding Harry back, trying to prevent Harry from going to where Sirius disappeared. Um, but Lupin, Lupin seems sure he's gone. He can't come back because he's dead. This is a lot for Harry to take in right now. Um, he's already exhausted from, uh, uh, you know, he's been up for most of the night, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, and uh, he has been fighting. He's been fleeing for his life, trying to save his friends. Um, Dumbledore has finally arrived, but Bellatrix Lestrange gets away, and Harry, um, uh, Harry runs after her. Um, they end up out in the atrium, in the sort of main, larger room of the Ministry of Magic, and... Well, there, uh, Voldemort shows up. Voldemort himself appears, and uh, he is he is angry that that the prophecy has not been contained because at the very end of the last chapter, the prophecy shattered. Um, but uh, Dumbledore appears, and uh, Dumbledore, you know, follows Harry after he chased Bellatrix out, and Dumbledore and Voldemort have a knockdown, dragout magic fight, an enormous duel. Um, at the end of which uh, Harry ends up basically unconscious, but Voldemort uh, is partially defeated. Um, Dumbledore manages to stave him off, um, and at the very end of this chapter, finally, we have the people from the Ministry of Magic who have been denying that Voldemort is back at all. They finally see, there are finally witnesses to this, that Harry isn't a liar, Dumbledore isn't a liar. This is real and it's happening. So, finally, Harry gets a chance for some rest. Dumbledore sends him back to Hogwarts using a port key, and that is where we ended. So, as always, if you've got something you would like to discuss, please go ahead and put it uh, in chat. I would love to talk about it. I do believe we're going to have some chapter breaks in here that we can talk about some things. We may not have a ton, but if not, then I will talk about them in between chapters. Um, I really love the discussion with you all, so thank you very much for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, participating and doing the chatting, and uh, I'm very excited. Thank you so much for sticking with me through these five books and for all the people who have come in new and and uh, for all the people who have suggested it to other people, to groups, to friends, what have you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Um, I've enjoyed this an awful lot, and uh, it's been an important part of every week for me. So thank you so much for sticking with me. Uh, love to have you here, and I love reading. So let's do some of that, shall we? Here we go. Chapter 37 The Lost Prophecy Harry's feet hit solid ground. 
His knees buckled a little, and the golden wizard's head fell with a resounding dunk to the floor. He looked around and saw that he had arrived in Dumbledore's office. Everything seemed to have repaired itself during the headmaster's absence. The delicate silver instruments stood once more on the spindle-legged tables, puffing and whirring serenely. The portraits of the headmasters and headmistresses were snoozing in their frames, heads lolling back in armchairs or else against the edge of the picture. Harry looked through the window. There was a cool line of pale green along the horizon. Dawn was approaching. The silence and the stillness, broken only by the occasional grunt or sniffle of a sleeping portrait, was unbearable to him. If his surroundings could have reflected the insides... If his surroundings could have reflected the feelings inside him, the pictures would have been screaming with pain. He walked around the office. Quiet, beautiful. He was breathing quickly, trying not to think. But he had to think. There was no escape. It was his fault Sirius had died. It was all his fault. If he, Harry, had not been stupid enough to fall for Voldemort's trick, if he had not been so convinced that what he had seen in his dream was real, if he had only opened his mind to the possibility that Voldemort was, as Hermione had said, banking on Harry's love of playing the hero, it was unbearable. He would not think about it. He couldn't stand it. There was a terrible hollow inside him that he did not want to feel or examine. A dark hole where Sirius had been, where Sirius had vanished. He did not want to have to be alone with that great silent space. He couldn't stand it. A picture behind him gave a particularly loud grunting snore, and a cool voice said, Oh, Harry Potter. Phineas Nigellus gave a long yawn, stretching his arms as he surveyed Harry out of shrewd, narrow eyes. And what brings you here in the early hours of the morning? said Phineas eventually. This office is supposed to be barred to all those but the rightful headmaster. Or has Dumbledore sent you here? No, oh, don't tell me. <sighs> He gave another shuddering yawn. Another message for my worthless great-great-grandson. Harry could not speak. Phineas Nigellus did not know that Sirius was dead, but Harry could not tell him. To say it aloud would be to make it final, absolute, irretrievable. A few more of the portraits had stirred now. Terror of being interrogated made Harry stride across the room and seize the doorknob. It wouldn't turn. He was shut in. I hope this means, said the corpulent, red-nosed wizard who hung on the wall behind the headmaster's desk, that Dumbledore will be back among us soon. Harry turned. The wizard was surveying him with great interest. Harry nodded. He tugged again on the doorknob behind his back, but it remained um, immovable. Oh, good, said the wizard. It has been very dull without him, very dull indeed. He settled himself into the throne-like chair on which he had been painted, and smiled benignly upon Harry. 
Dumbledore thinks very highly of you, as I'm sure you know, he said comfortably. Oh, yes. Holds you in great esteem. The guilt filling the whole of Harry's chest like some monstrous, weighty parasite now writhed and squirmed. Harry could not stand this. He couldn't stand being himself anymore. He had never felt more trapped inside his own head and body, never wished so intensely that he could be somebody, anybody else. The empty fireplace burst into emerald green flame, making Harry leap away from the door, staring at the man spinning inside the grate. As Dumbledore's tall form unfolded from the fire, the wizards and witches in the surrounding walls jerked awake, many of them giving cries of welcome. Thank you, said Dumbledore softly. He did not look at Harry at first, but walked over to the perch beside the door and withdrew from inside the pocket of his robes the tiny, ugly, featherless fox, whom he placed gently on the tray of soft ashes beneath the golden post where the full-grown fox usually stood. Well, Harry, said Dumbledore, finally turning away from the baby bird. You will be pleased to hear that none of your fellow students are going to suffer lasting damage from last night's events. Harry tried to say, Good, but no sound came out. It seemed to him that Dumbledore was reminding him of the amount of damage he had caused, and although Dumbledore was for once looking at him directly, and although his expression was kindly rather than accusatory, Harry could not bear to meet his eyes. Adam Pumphrey is patching everybody up, said Dumbledore. Nymphadora Tonks may need to spend a little time in St. Mungo's, but it seems she will make a full recovery. Harry contented himself with nodding at the carpet, which was growing lighter as the sky outside grew paler. He was sure all the portraits around the room were listening closely to every word Dumbledore spoke, wondering whether Dumbledore and Harry had been... wondering where Dumbledore and Harry had been, and why there had been injuries. "'I know how you're feeling, Harry.' said Dumbledore very quietly. "'No, you don't,' said Harry, and his voice was suddenly loud and strong. White-hot anger leapt inside him. Dumbledore knew nothing about his feelings. "'You see, Dumbledore,' said Phineas Nigella slyly, "'never try to understand the students. They hate it. They'd rather be tragically misunderstood, wallow in self-pity, stew in their own. That is enough, Phineas, said Dumbledore. He turned his back on Dumbledore, and Harry turned his back on Dumbledore and stared determinedly out of the window. He could see the Quidditch Stadium in the distance. Sirius had appeared there once, disguised as the shaggy black dog so that he could watch Harry play. He'd probably come to see whether Harry was on, whether Harry was as good as James had been. Harry had never asked him. There is no shame in what you are feeling, Harry, said Dumbledore's voice. On the contrary, the fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. 
Harry felt the white-hot anger lick his insides, blazing in the terrible emptiness, filling him with the desire to hurt Dumbledore for his calmness and his empty words. "'My greatest strength, is it?' said Harry, his voice shaking as he stared out at the Quidditch Stadium, no longer seeing it. "'You haven't got a clue. You don't know. What don't I know?' asked Dumbledore calmly. It was too much. Harry turned around, shaking with rage. "'I don't want to talk about how I feel, all right?' Harry, suffering like this proves that you're still a man. This pain is part of being human. Then I don't want to be human, Harry roared, and he seized the delicate silver instrument from the spindle-legged table beside him and flung it across the room. It shattered into a hundred tiny pieces against the wall. Several of the pictures let out yells of anger and fright, and the portrait of Armando Dippet said, Really? I don't care! Harry yelled at them, snatching up a lunoscope and throwing it into the fireplace. I've had enough! I've seen enough! I want out! I want it to end! I don't care anymore! He seized the table on which the silver instrument stood and threw that too. It broke apart on the floor and the legs rolled in different directions. You do care, said Dumbledore. He had not flinched or made a single move to stop Harry demolishing his office. His expression was calm almost detached. You care so much that you feel as though you will bleed to death with the pain of it. I don't! Harry screamed so loudly that he felt his throat might tear, and for a second he wanted to rush at Dumbledore and break him too. Shatter that calm old face. Shake him, hurt him, make him feel some tiny part of the horror inside himself. Oh, yes. Yes, you do, said Dumbledore still more calmly. You have now lost your mother, your father, and the closest thing to a parent you have ever known. Of course you care. You don't know how I feel, Harry roared. You standing there, you... But words were no longer enough. Smashing things was no more help. He wanted to run. He wanted to keep running and never look back. He wanted to be somewhere he could not see the clear blue eyes staring at him, that hatefully calm old face. He turned on his heel and ran to the door, seized the doorknob again and wrenched at it. But the door would not open. Harry turned back to Dumbledore. Let me out, he said. He was shaking from head to foot. No, said Dumbledore, simply. For a few seconds, they stared at each other. Let me out, Harry said again. No, Dumbledore repeated. If you don't, if you keep me in here, if you don't let me... By all means, continue destroying my possessions, said Dumbledore serenely. I dare say I have too many. He walked around his desk and sat down. Behind it, watching Harry. Let me out, Harry said. And yet again, in a voice that was cold and almost as calm as Dumbledore's. Not until I've had my say, said Dumbledore. Do you... Do you think that I want... I don't give... I don't care what you've got to say, 
Harry roared. I don't want to hear anything that you've got to say. You will, said Dumbledore steadily, because you're not nearly as angry with me as you ought to be. If you are to attack me, I, as I know that you're close to doing, I would like to have thoroughly earned it. What are you saying? It is my fault that Sirius died, said Dumbledore calmly. Or should I say almost entirely my fault? I would not be so arrogant as to claim responsibility for the whole. Sirius was a brave, clever, and energetic man, and such men are usually not content to sit at home in hiding or they believe others to be in danger. Nevertheless, you should never have believed for an instant that there was any necessity for you to go to the Department of Mysteries tonight. If I had been open with you, Harry, as I should have been, you would have known a long time ago that Voldemort might try and lure you to the Department of Mysteries, and you would never have been tricked into going there tonight. And Sirius would not have had to come after you. That blame lies with me, and with me alone. Harry was still standing with his hand on the doorknob, but was unaware of it. He was gazing at Dumbledore, breathing heavily, listening yet barely understanding what he was hearing. "'Please sit down,' said Dumbledore. It was not an order, it was a request." Harry hesitated, then walked slowly across the room, now littered with silver cogs and fragments of wood, and took a seat facing Dumbledore's desk. "'Am I to understand,' said Phineas Nigellus slowly from Harry's left, "'that my great-great-grandson, the last of the blacks, is dead?' "'Yes, Phineas,' said Dumbledore. I don't believe it, said Phineas brusquely. Harry turned his head in time to see Phineas marching out of his portrait and knew that he had gone to visit his other painting in Grimald Place. He would walk, perhaps, from portrait to portrait, calling for Sirius through the house. Harry, I owe you an explanation, said Dumbledore. An explanation of an old man's mistakes. For I see now that what I have done and not done with regards to you bears all the hallmarks of the failings of age. Youth cannot know how age thinks and feels, but old men are guilty if they forget what it was to be young. And I seem to have forgotten lately. The sun was rising properly now. There was a rim of dazzling orange visible over the mountains, and the sky above it was colorless and bright. The light fell upon Dumbledore, upon the silver of his eyebrows and beard, upon the lines gouged deeply into his face. "'I guessed fifteen years ago,' said Dumbledore, "'when I saw that scar on your forehead, what it might mean.' I guessed that it might be a sign of a, a connection forged between you and Voldemort. You've told me this before, Professor. Oof. You've told me this before, Professor, said Harry bluntly. He did not care about being rude. He didn't 
care much about anything very more. Come on. He did not care about anything very much anymore. <laughs> yes, said Dumbledore apologetically. Yes, but you see, it is necessary to start with your scar. For it became apparent shortly after you were rejoined with the magical world that I was correct, and that your scar was giving you warnings when Voldemort was close to you or else feeling powerful emotion. I know, said Harry wearily. And this ability of yours to detect Voldemort's presence even when he is disguised and to know what he is feeling when his emotions are roused has become more and more pronounced since Voldemort's return to his own body and his full powers. Harry did not bother to nod. He knew all of this already. More recently, said Dumbledore, I became concerned that Voldemort might realize that this connection between you exists. Sure enough, there came a time when you entered so far into his mind and thought that he sensed your presence. I am speaking, of course, of the night when you witnessed the attack on Mr. Weasley. Yeah, Snape told me, Harry muttered. Professor Snape, Harry, Dumbledore corrected him quietly. But did you not wonder why it was not I who explained this to you? Why I did not teach you occlumency? Why I had not so much as looked at you for months? Harry looked up. He could now see that Dumbledore looked sad and tired. Yeah, Harry mumbled. Yeah, I wondered. You see, Dumbledore continued, I believed it could not be long before Voldemort attempted to force his way into your mind, to manipulate and misdirect your thoughts, and I was not eager to give him more incentives to do so. I was sure that if he realized that our relationship was, or has ever been, closer than that of headmaster and pupil, he would seize his chance to use you as a means to spy on me. I feared the uses to which he would put you, the possibility that he might try and possess you. Harry, I believe that I was right to think that Voldemort would try to make use of you in such a way. On those rare occasions when we had close contact, I thought I saw a shadow of him stir behind your eyes. Harry remembered the feeling that a dormant snake had risen in him, ready to strike, in those moments when he and Dumbledore had made eye contact. Voldemort's aim in possessing you, as he demonstrated tonight, would not have been my destruction. It would have been yours. He hoped when he possessed you briefly a short while ago, that I would sacrifice you in the hope of killing him. So you see, I have been trying, in distancing myself from you, to protect you, Harry. An old man's mistake. He sighed deeply. Harry was letting the words wash over him. He would have been so interested to know all of this a few months ago. But now it was meaningless, compared to the gaping chasm inside him that was the loss of Sirius. None of it mattered. 
Sirius told me that you felt Voldemort awake inside you the very night that you had visions of Arthur Weasley's attack. I knew at once that my worst fears were correct. Voldemort had realized he could use you in an attempt to arm you against Voldemort's assaults on your mind. I arranged occlumency lessons with Professor Snape. He paused. Harry watched the sunlight, which was sliding slowly across the polished surface of Dumbledore's desk, illuminate a silver ink pot and a handsome scarlet quill. Harry could tell that the portraits all around them were awake and listening raptly to Dumbledore's explanation. He could hear the occasional rustle of robes, the slight clearing of a throat. Phineas Nigellus still had not returned. Professor Snape discovered, Dumbledore resumed, that you have been dreaming about the door to the Department of Mysteries for months. Voldemort, of course, had been obsessed with the possibility of hearing the prophecy ever since he regained his body, and as he dwelled on the door, so did you, though you did not know what it meant. And then you saw Rookwood, who worked in the Department of Mysteries before his arrest, telling Voldemort what we had known all along, that the prophecies held in the Ministry of Magic were heavily protected. Only the people to whom they refer can lift them from the shelves without suffering madness. In this case, either Voldemort himself would have to enter the Ministry of Magic and risk revealing himself at last, or you would have to take it for him. It became a matter of urgency even greater then that you should master occlumency. But I didn't, muttered Harry. He said it aloud to try and ease the dead weight of guilt inside him. A confession most surely relieved some of the terrible pressure squeezing his heart. I didn't practice. I didn't bother. I could have stopped myself having those dreams. Hermione kept telling me to do it. If I had, he'd never been able to show me where to go, and... And Sirius wouldn't... Sirius wouldn't... Something was erupting inside Harry's head. He need, needed to justify himself, to explain. I tried to check. He'd really taken Sirius. I went to Dumbledore's office. I spoke to Creature in the fire and he said that Sirius wasn't there. He said that he'd gone. Creature lied, said Dumbledore calmly. You are not his master. He could lie to you without even needing to punish himself. Creature intended you to go to the Ministry of Magic. He... He sent me on purpose. Oh, yes. Creature, I'm afraid, has been serving more than one master for months. How? said Harry blankly. He hasn't been out of Grimald Place for years. Creature seized his opportunity shortly before Christmas said Dumbledore, when Sirius apparently shouted at him to get out. He took Sirius at his word and interpreted this as in order to leave the house. He went to the only black family member for whom he had any respect left, Black's cousin Narcissa, sister of Bellatrix and wife of Lucius Malfoy. How do you know all this? Harry said. His heart was beating very fast. He felt sick. He remembered worrying about Creature's odd absence over Christmas, remembered turning him 
remembered him turning up again in the attic. "'Creature told me last night,' said Dumbledore. "'You see, when you gave Professor Snape that cryptic warning, "'he realized that you must have had a vision of Sirius "'trapped in the bowels of the Department of Mysteries. "'He, like you, attempted to contact Sirius at once. "'I should explain that all of the members of the Order of the Phoenix "'have more reliable means of communication "'than the fire in Dolores Umbridge's office.' Professor Snape found that Sirius was alive and safe in Grimaud Place. However, when you did not return from your trip into the forest with Dolores Umbridge, Professor Snape grew worried that you still believed Sirius to be capable of Lord Voldemort's, to still be a captive of Lord Voldemort's. He alerted certain Order members at once. Dumbledore heaved a huge sigh and continued. Uh, Alistair Moody, Nymphadora Tonks, Kingsley Shacklebolt, and Remus Lupin were at the headquarters when he made contact. All agreed to go to your aid at once. Professor Snape requested that Sirius remain behind, as he needed somebody to remain at the headquarters to tell me what had happened, for I was due there at any moment. In the meantime, he, Professor Snape, intended to search the forest for you. But Sirius did not wish to remain behind while the others went to search for you. He delegated, delegated to Creature the task of telling me what had happened. And so it was that when I arrived in Grimaud Place shortly after they had all gone for the ministry, it was the elf who told me, laughing fit to burst, where Sirius had gone. He was laughing, said Harry, in a hollow voice. Oh, yes, said Dumbledore. You see, Creature was not able to betray us totally. He is not secret keeper for the Order. He could not give the Malfoys our whereabouts or tell them any of the Order's confidential plans that he had been forbidden to reveal. He was bound by the enchantments of his kind, which is to say that he could not disobey a direct order from his master, Sirius, but he gave Narcissa information of the sort that is very valuable to Voldemort. It must have seemed much too trivial for Sirius to think of banning him from repeating it. Like what? said Harry. Like the fact that the person Sirius cared most about in the world was you, said Dumbledore quietly. Like the fact that you were coming to regard Sirius as a mixture of father and brother. Voldemort knew already, of course, that Sirius was in the Order and that you knew where he was, but Creature's information made him realize that the only person for whom you would go to any lengths to rescue was Sirius Black. Harry's lips were cold and numb. So, when I asked Creature if Sirius was there last night. The Malfoys, undoubtedly on Voldemort's instructions, had told him he must find a way of keeping Sirius out of the way once you had seen the vision of, Cre of Sirius being tortured. Then, if you decided to check whether Sirius was at home or not, Creature would be able to pretend he was not. Creature injured Buckbeak the Hippogriff yesterday, and at the moment that you made your appearance in the fire, Sirius was upstairs tending to him. 
There seemed to be very little air left in Harry's lungs. His breathing was quick and shallow. And I... My creature told you all this and laughed. He croaked. He did not wish to tell me, said Dumbledore, but I am a sufficiently accomplished Dillimans myself to know when I am being lied to, and I persuaded him to tell me the full story before I left for the Department of Mysteries. And, whispered Harry, his hand curled into cold fists on his knees, and Hermione kept telling us to be nice to him. She was right, Harry, said Dumbledore. I warned Sirius when we adopted twelve Grimaud Place as our headquarters that Creature must be treated with kindness and respect. I also told him that Creature could be dangerous to us. I don't think Sirius took me very seriously, or that he ever saw Creature as being a being with feelings as acute as a human's. Don't you blame don't talk about Sirius like... Harry's breath was constricted. He couldn't get the words out properly, but the rage that had subsided briefly flared in him again. He would not let Dumbledore criticize Sirius. Creature is a lying, foul... He deserved... Creature is what he has been made by wizards, Harry, said Dumbledore. Yes, he is to be pitied. His existence has been made miserable as your friend Dobby's. He was forced to do Sirius's bidding because Sirius was the last of his family to which he was enslaved. But he felt no true loyalty to him. And whatever Creature's faults, it must be admitted that Sirius did nothing to make Creature's lot easier. Don't you talk about Sirius like that! Harry yelled. He was on his feet again, furious ready to fly at Dumbledore, who had plainly not understood Sirius at all. How brave he was, how much he had suffered. What about Snape? Harry spat. You're not talking about him, are you? When I told him that Voldemort had Sirius, he just sneered at me, as usual. Harry, you know that Professor Snape had no choice but to pretend not to take you seriously in front of Dolores Umbridge, said Voldemort. Mm, nope, said Dumbledore steadily. But as I have explained... He informed the Order as soon as possible about what you had said. It was he who deduced where you had gone when you did not return from the forest. It was he, too, who gave Professor Umbridge fake Veritas Serum when she was attempting to force you to tell her Sirius his whereabouts. Harry disregarded this. He felt a savage pleasure in blaming Snape. It seemed to be easing his own sense of dreadful guilt, and he wanted to hear Dumbledore agree with him. Snape, Snape goaded Sirius into staying in the house. He made out Sirius was a coward. Sirius was much too old and clever to be allowing such feeble taunts to hurt him, said Dumbledore. Snape stopped giving me occlumency lessons, Harry snarled. He threw me out of his office. I am aware of it, said Dumbledore heavily. I have already said that it was a mistake for me not to teach you myself. 
though I was sure at the time that nothing could have been more dangerous than to open your mind even further to Voldemort while in my presence. Snape made it worse. My scar always hurt worse after lessons with him. Harry remembered Ron's thoughts on the subject and plunged on. How do you know he wasn't trying to soften me up for Voldemort? Make it easier for him to get inside my... I trust Severus Snape, said Dumbledore simply. But I forgot another man, another old man's mistake, that some wounds run too deep for healing. I thought Professor Snape could overcome his feelings about your father. I was wrong. But that's okay, isn't it? yelled Harry, ignoring the scandalized faces and disapproving mutterings of the portraits on the walls. It's okay for Snape to hate my dad, but it's not okay for Sirius to hate Creature. Sirius did not hate Creature, said Dumbledore. He regarded him as a servant unworthy of much interest or notice. Indifference and neglect often do as much damage than outright dislike. The fountain we destroyed tonight told a lie. We wizards have mistreated and abused our fellows for too long, and we are now reaping our reward. So Sirius got what he deserved, did he? Harry yelled. I did not say that, nor will you ever hear me say that. Dumbledore replied calmly. Sirius was not a cruel man. He was kind to house elves in general. He had no love for Creature, because Creature was a living reminder of the home Sirius had hated. Yeah, he did hate it, said Harry, his voice cracking, turning his back on Dumbledore and walking away. The sun was bright inside the room now, and the eyes of all the portraits followed him as he walked, without realizing what he was doing, without seeing the office at all. You made him stay shut up in that house, and he hated it. That's why he wanted to get out last night. I was trying to keep Sirius alive, said Dumbledore quietly. People don't like being locked up, Harry said furiously, rounding on him. You did it to me all last summer. Dumbledore closed his eyes and buried his face in his long-fingered hands. Harry watched him, but this uncharacteristic sign of exhaustion or sadness or whatever it was from Dumbledore did not soften him. On the contrary, he felt even angrier that Dumbledore was showing signs of weakness. He had no business being weak when Harry wanted to rage and storm at him. Dumbledore lowered his hands and surveyed Harry through his half-moon glasses. It is time, he said, for me to tell you what I should have told you five years ago, Harry. Please sit down. I'm going to tell you everything. I ask only a little patience. You will have your chance to rage at me, to do whatever you like, when I have finished. I will not stop you. Harry glared at him for a moment, then flung himself back into the chair opposite Dumbledore, and waited. And I'm going to sort of impose a chatter break here. All right. It's going to be quick, because like I said, we got a lot to cover tonight. But I just wanted to say hi to uh, everyone new jumping in in chat. Uh, let's see. In Discord, 
uh, Two Good Sharks, <laughs> which is a pretty solid name. I like that one. Uh, Heart Hook, if I say anybody twice, sorry. Uh, Jasmine, Liberty Grace, uh, Linz, I don't remember if you were in before. If you were, I apologize. Louisa, Luke, hey, how's it going? Uh, Pokemon Girl. Hi, I'm a stud. Hello. I hope y'all are doing well. And uh, the Gross Simmer. I hope it's not the Gross Simmer or something. The Gross Simmer. Um, this Too Great. Mr. Foose. Oh, Mr. Foose is on both both spots, huh? How are you doing? And welcome. Um, for our chatter break, uh, I've got a... Let's see. My... my, my, my Cheddar break topic of discussion is going to be, um, I think it's going to be the, honestly, the, the, the dispute between the old wound, as Dumbledore calls it, between Snape and Harry's father and the, the neglect that Sirius showed for creature, um, all of these different items of, uh, I don't even know if I've got a question at the end of this. I'm just, I'm just, you know, pointing out, uh, points of curiosity for me. Um, all of these, these moments of suffering on the good side, all of these moments of, of bad moves of, of people doing the wrong thing, you know, serious doing the, doing wrong by creature, um, James Potter doing wrong by Snape. I think this is this is good. It portrays more accurately that sometimes the good side isn't as united as we want it to be. And how we have to remember that uh, we have to treat people properly. I think that's all I've got for this one. This whole scene, um, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of quietness. It's a lot of uh, there's not a lot of action in this scene, but we learn a lot more about the world, and it's a it's a good way to kind of end up this this book with, um, you know, I, I think this is supposed to be a, a, a reflection of the some of the toughest parts of growing up, and this book, especially on additional rereads like I'm getting right now, um, it has a lot to say about what it is to grow up and what it is to learn about good and evil being much more challenging concepts than they first seem or than they've been portrayed for so long. Um, Courtney in, in a mixer says, I think Hermione's act to free all elves isn't worth, uh, isn't worth, but instead she should focus on having elves be treated with the kindness because they have feelings. Um, blessed conch says communication. Yes, indeed. Um, Linz says he's, uh, this is in, uh, Discord says he's devastated and desperate not to feel so guilty. Um, I think we've got a, I, I don't know who you are, who you are referring to here, but I think that's kind of part of the point of this, right? We're not, you know, there are quite a few people right now who are feeling devastated and desperate not to feel guilty. And where does the guilt really lie? We can talk about that more later on. Uh, Sarah says, I understand where Sirius's feelings toward creature came from, but oof, it rubs me the wrong way, especially considering the creature is a house elf. Uh, Tuna says, the common theme in these books is, I should have told you this five years ago. I think there's a lot of that. And I, you know, there's, in spite of these books being an, a really interesting example of books that were written for young people, um, that cover things like serious permanent loss, um, 
uh, cover things like you know betrayal and and the complexity of 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 trying to be on quote the good team. Um, that's kind of it's kind of ironic that that uh, that's such a common theme, especially when one of the things that this book these books do compared to a lot of other books is expose you to things like this five years early, five years before any any other book series would would do that. Um, but uh, all right, I'm trying to keep this one short. Thank you all so much for for jumping in and uh, keep the chat going. But I'm going to continue with our chapter. Dumbledore stared for a moment at the sunlit grounds outside the window, then looked back at Harry and said, Five years ago, you arrived at Hogwarts, Harry, safe and whole, as I had planned and intended. Well, not quite whole. You had suffered. I knew that you would when I left you on your aunt and uncle's doorstep. I knew that I was condemning you to ten dark and difficult years. He paused. Harry said nothing. You might ask, and with good reason, why it had to be so. Why could some wizarding family not have taken you in? Many would have done so more than gladly, would have been honoured and delighted to raise you as a son. My answer is that my priority was to keep you alive. You were in more danger than perhaps anyone but I realised. Voldemort had been vanquished hours before, but his supporters, and many of them as terrible as he, were still at large, angry, desperate and violent, and I had to make my decision too with regard to the years ahead. Did I believe that Voldemort was gone forever? No. I knew not whether it would be ten, twenty, or fifty years before he returned, but I was sure that he would do so. And I was sure, too, knowing him as I have done, that he would not rest until he had killed you. I knew that Voldemort's knowledge of magic is perhaps more extensive than any wizard alive. I knew that even my most complex and powerful protective spells and charms were unlikely to be invincible if he ever returned to full power. But I knew, too, where Voldemort was weak, and so I made my decision. You will always be protected by an ancient magic, of which he knows, which he despises, and which he has always, therefore, underestimated. To his cost. I am speaking, of course, of the fact that your mother died to save you. She gave you a lingering protection he never expected, a protection that flows in your veins to this very day. I put my trust, therefore, in your mother's blood, and delivered you to her sister, her only remaining relative. She doesn't love me, said Harry at once. She doesn't give a damn, but she took you. Dumbledore cut across him. She may have taken you grudgingly, furiously, unwillingly, bitterly, yet she still took you, and in doing so, she sealed the charm I placed upon you. Your mother's sacrifice made the bond of blood the strongest shield that I could give you. I still don't. While you can still call home the place where your mother's blood dwells, there you cannot be touched or harmed by Voldemort. 
He shed her blood, but it lives in you and in her sister. Her blood became your refuge. You need not return there more than once a year, but as long as you can still call it home. While you are there, he cannot hurt you. Your aunt knows this. I explained what I had done in the letter that I left, with you, on her doorstep. She knows that allowing you house-room may well have kept you alive for the past fifteen years. "'Wait,' said Harry. "'Wait a moment.' He sat up straighter in his chair, staring at Dumbledore. "'You sent that howler. "'You told her to remember. "'It was your voice.' "'I thought,' said Dumbledore, inclining his head slightly, "'that she might need reminding of the pact she had sealed by taking you. "'I suspected that the Dementor attack might have awoken her "'to the dangers of having you as a surrogate son.' "'It did,' said Harry quietly. "'Well, my uncle more than her. "'He wanted to chuck me out, but after the howler came, she... "'she said that I had to stay.' He stared at the floor for a moment, then said, "'But what has this got to do with—' He could not say Sirius's name. Five years ago, then,' continued Dumbledore, as though he had not paused in his story, "'you arrived at Hogwarts, neither as happy nor as well-nourished as I would have liked, perhaps, yet alive and healthy. You were not a pampered little prince, but as an—as normal a boy as I could have hoped under the circumstances.' Thus far, my plan was working well. And then, well, you will remember the events of your first year at Hogwarts quite as clearly as I do. You rose magnificently to the challenge that faced you, and sooner, much sooner than I had anticipated, you found yourself face to face with Voldemort. You survived again. You did more. You delayed his return to full power and strength. You fought a man, a man's fight. I was prouder of you than I can say. Yet there was a flaw in this wonderful plan of mine, said Dumbledore. An obvious flaw that I knew even then might be the undoing of it all. And then, without knowing how important it was that my plan should succeed, I told myself I would not permit this flaw to ruin it. I alone could prevent this, so I alone must be strong. And here was my first test. As you lay in the hospital wing, weak from your struggle with Voldemort. I don't understand what you're saying, said Harry. Don't you remember asking me? as you lay in the hospital wing, why Voldemort had tried to kill you when you were a baby. Harry nodded. Ought I to have told you then? Harry stared into the blue eyes and said nothing, but his heart was racing again. You do not see the floor in the plan yet. No, perhaps not. Well, as you know, I decided not to tell you then. Eleven, I told myself, was much too young to know. I had never intended to tell you when you were eleven. The knowledge would be much too great at such a young age. 
I should have recognized the danger signs then. I should have asked myself why I did not feel more disturbed that you had already asked me the question to which I knew one day I must give a terrible answer. I should have recognized that I was too happy to think that I did not have to do it on that particular day. You were too young, much too young. And so we entered your second year at Hogwarts. And once again, you met challenges even grown wizards have never faced. Once again, you acquitted yourself beyond my wildest dreams. You did not ask me again, however, why Voldemort had left his mark upon you. We discussed your scar. Oh, yes, we came very, very close to the subject. Why did I not tell you everything? Well, it seemed to me that twelve was, after all, hardly better than eleven to receive such information. I allowed you to leave my presence blood-stained, exhausted, but exhilarated, and if I felt a twinge of unease that I thought perhaps I should have told you, it was swiftly silenced. You were still so young, you see, and I could not find it in myself to spoil that night of triumph. Do you see, Harry? Do you see the flaw in my brilliant plan now? I had fallen into the trap I had foreseen, that I had told myself that I could avoid, that I must avoid. I don't... I cared about you too much, said Dumbledore simply. I cared more for your happiness than for your knowing the truth. More for your peace of mind than my plan for your life. More for your life than the lives that might be lost if the plan failed. In other words, I acted exactly as Voldemort expects we fools who love to act. Is there a defense? I defy anyone who has watched you as I have, and I have watched you more closely than you can imagine, not to want to save you more pain than you had already suffered. What did I care if numbers of nameless and faceless people and creatures were slaughtered in the vague future, if in the here and now you were alive and well and happy? I never dreamed I would have such a person on my hands. We entered third year. I watched you from afar as you struggled to repel Dementors, as you found Sirius, learned what he was, and rescued him. Was I to tell you then, at the moment when you had triumphantly snatched your godfather from the jaws of the ministry? But now, at the age of thirteen, my excuses were running out. Young as you might be, you had proved that you were exceptional. My conscience was uneasy, Harry. I knew the time must come soon. But when you came out of the maze last year, having watched Cedric Diggory die, having escaped death so narrowly yourself, and I did not tell you, though I knew now Voldemort had returned, I must do it soon. And now tonight I know you have long been ready for the knowledge I have kept from you for so long, because you have proved that I should have placed the burden upon you before this. My only defense is this. I have watched you, 
struggling under more burdens than any student who has passed through this school, I could not bring myself to add another, the greatest of all. Harry waited, but Dumbledore did not speak. I don't understand. Voldemort tried to kill you when you were a child, because of a prophecy made shortly before your birth. He knew that the prophecy had been made, though he did not know its full contents. He set out to kill you when you were a baby, believing he was fulfilling the terms of the prophecy. He discovered, to his cost, that he was mistaken. When the curse intended to kill you backfired, and so, since his return to his body, and particularly since your extraordinary escape from him last year, he has been determined to hear that prophecy in its entirety. This is the weapon he has been seeking so assiduously since his return, the knowledge of how to destroy you. The sun had risen fully now. Dumbledore's office was bathed in it. The glass case in which the sword of Godric Gryffindor resided gleamed white and opaque. The fragments of the instruments Harry had thrown on the floor glistened like raindrops, and behind him, the baby fox made soft chirruping noises in his nest of ashes. The prophecy smashed, Harry said blankly. I was pulling Neville up the benches in the the room where the archway was, and I ripped his robes and it fell. The thing that was smashed was merely the record of the prophecy kept by the Department of Mysteries. But the prophecy was made to somebody, and that person has the means of recalling it perfectly. Who heard it? said Harry, though he thought he knew the answer already. I did, said Dumbledore. On a cold, wet night sixteen years ago, in a room above the bar at the Hogshead Inn. I had gone there to see an applicant for the post of divination teacher, though it was against my inclination to allow the subject of divination to continue at all. The applicant, however, was the great-great-granddaughter of a very famous, very gifted seer, and I thought it common politeness to meet her. I was disappointed, seemed to me that she had not a trace of the gift herself. I told her, courteously, I hope, that I did not think she would be suitable for the post. I turned to leave. Dumbledore got to his feet and walked past Harry to the black cabinet that stood beside Fox's perch. He bent down, slid back a catch and took from inside it the shallow stone basin carved with runes around the edges, in which Harry had first seen his father tormenting Snape. Dumbledore walked back to the desk, placed the pensive upon it, and raised his wand to his own temple. From it he withdrew silver, gossamer, fine strands of thought clinging to the wand, and deposited them into the basin. He sat back down behind his desk and watched his thoughts swirl and drift inside the pensive for a moment. Then, with a sigh, he raised his wand and prodded the silvery substance with its tip. A figure rose out of it, draped in shawls, 
Her eyes magnified to enormous size behind her glasses, and she revolved slowly, her feet in the basin. But when Sybil Trelawney spoke, it was not in her usual, ethereal, mystic voice, but in the harsh, hoarse tones Harry had heard her use once before. The one with the power to vanquish the, the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born to the seventh month. Excuse me. Born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have power the Dark Lord knows not. And either must die at the hands of the other, for neither must, neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. The slowly revolving Professor Trelawney sank back into the silver mass below and vanished. The silence within the office was absolute. Neither Dumbledore nor Harry nor any of the portraits made a sound. Even Fox had fallen silent. Professor Dumbledore, Harry said very quietly, for Dumbledore, still staring at the pensive, seemed completely lost in thought. It... did that mean... what did that mean? It meant, said Dumbledore, that the only person who has the only chance of conquering Lord Voldemort for good was born at the end of July, nearly sixteen years ago. This boy would be born to parents who had already defied Voldemort three times. Harry felt as though something was closing in on him. His breathing seemed difficult again. It means me? Dumbledore surveyed him for a moment through his glasses. The odd thing, Harry, he said softly, is that it might not have meant you at all. Sybil's prophecy could have applied to two wizard boys, both born at the end of July that year, both of whom had parents in the Order of the Phoenix, both sets of parents having narrowly escaped Voldemort three times. One, of course, was you. The other was Neville Longbottom. But then, but then why was it my name on the prophecy, and not Neville's? The official record keeper, the official record was relabeled after Voldemort's attack on you as a child, said Voldemort. It seemed plain to the keeper of the Hall of Prophecy that Voldemort could only have tried to kill you because he knew that you were the one to whom Sybil was referring. Then it... It might not be me, said Harry. I'm afraid, said Dumbledore slowly, looking as though every word cost him great effort, that there is no doubt that it is you. But you said Neville was born at the end of July too, and his mum and dad. You are forgetting the next part of the prophecy, the final identifying feature of the boy who could vanquish Voldemort. Voldemort himself would mark him as his equal. And so he did, Harry. He chose you, not Neville. He gave you the scar that has proved both blessing and curse. 
But he might have chosen wrong, said Harry. He might have marked the wrong person. He chose the boy he thought most likely to be a danger to him, said Dumbledore. And notice this, Harry. He chose not the pure blood, which, according to his creed, is the only kind of wizard worth being or knowing, but the half-blood, like himself. He saw himself in you before he had ever seen you, and in marking you with that scar he did not kill you as he intended, but gave you powers, and a future which have fitted you to escape him, not once, but four times so far. Something that neither your parents nor Neville's parents ever achieved. Why did he do it then? said Harry, who felt numb and cold. Why did he try to kill me as a baby? He should have waited to see whether Neville or I looked more dangerous when we were older and tried to kill whoever it was then. That might indeed have made more practical sense, said Dumbledore, except that Voldemort's information about the prophecy was incomplete. The Hogshead Inn, which Sybil chose for its cheapness, has long attracted, shall we say, a more interesting clientele than three broomsticks. As you and your friends found out, to your cost, and I to mine that night, it is a place where it is never safe to assume you are not being overheard. Of course I had not dreamed, when I set out to meet Sybil Trelawney, that I would hear anything worth overhearing. My hour, one stroke of good fortune, was that the eavesdropper was detected only a short way into the prophecy and thrown from the building. So he only heard, he heard only the beginning, a part foretelling the birth of a boy born in July to parents who had thrice defied Voldemort. Consequently, he could not warn his master that to attack you would be to risk transferring his power to you and marking you as his equal. So Voldemort never knew that there might be danger in attacking you, that it might be wise to wait to learn more. He did not know that you would have power the Dark Lord does not. But I don't, said Harry, in a strangled voice. I haven't got any powers he hasn't got. I couldn't find the way tonight. I couldn't possess people. I can't kill them. There is a room in the Department of Mysteries interrupted Dumbledore, that is kept locked at all times. It contains a force that is at once more powerful and more terrible than death, than human intelligence, than the forces of nature. It is also perhaps the most mysterious of the many subjects for study which reside there. It is the power held within that room that you possess in such quantities and which Voldemort has not at all. That power took you to save Sirius tonight. That power also saved you from possession by Voldemort because he could not bear to reside in a body so full of the force that he detests. In the end it mattered not that you could not close your mind. It was your heart that saved you. Harry closed his eyes. If he had not gone to save Sirius, Sirius would not have died more to stave off the moment than he more to stave off the moment that he would have to think of Sirius again harry asked without caring much about the answer the end of the prophecy it was something about neither 
can live while the other survives, said Dumbledore. So, said Harry, dredging up the words from what felt like a deep well of despair inside him. So, does that mean that one of us has got to kill the other one in the end? Yes, said Dumbledore. For a long time, neither of them spoke. Somewhere far beyond the office walls, Harry could hear the sound of voices. Students heading down to the Great Hall for an early breakfast, perhaps. It seemed impossible that there were people in the world who still desired food, who laughed, who neither knew nor cared that Sirius Black was gone forever. Sirius seemed a million miles away already. Even now, a part of Harry still believed that if only... If he had only pulled back that veil, he would have found Sirius looking back at him, greeting him, perhaps, with his laugh like a bark. I feel I owe you another explanation, Harry, said Dumbledore hesitantly. You may perhaps have wondered why I never chose you as a prefect. I must confess, I rather thought that you had enough responsibility to be going on with. Harry looked up at him and saw a tear trickling down Dumbledore's face into his long silver beard. the end of our first chapter for tonight we are going to be finishing this out and uh the next chapter is actually one page longer than the one we just read so like i said we're in for a bit of a long one tonight uh for everyone who's watching thank you so very much um i've got uh i've got people on mixer and discord right now thank you very very much for watching if you are watching this on youtube right now that means stick around after this video um, because this is on a one-week delay. It means that once this video ends, we will be starting the premiere of the next book. But for right now, uh, you can you can find those links in the description of the YouTube video. But for the people who are with me live right now in Mixer and Discord, thank you so much for joining me. I feel like this is going pretty well. I've got a couple of Marble Mouth moments, but that's all right. I want to see what chat's been talking about. Uh, Odd Man, Odd Man 2, excuse me. This isn't the original Odd Man. This is Odd Man II, of course, um, heir to the Odd Man throne. I think Harry was pushed extremely far in this book between not being told things and being kept in the dark. And then Umbridge doing her thing basically made Harry a powder keg of emotion. Um, I think you are probably right. And I think, you know, this is the this is that trap that Dumbledore was talking about. He cared. Um, there's, it's, you know, it's a bit like the, the difference between, like, intelligence and sort of petty cleverness. You know, it's it's uh, intelligence who can sort of see all the pieces, put the moves together, you know, like chess. And then there's petty cleverness, which is different and will not accomplish the same things as intelligence. But it does it does accomplish things, you know, that it's the, it's sort of that sort of stuff that that is responsible for, you know, the creation of the wheel and 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 things like that. But what we're, we're dealing with is is a type of I don't know. I don't know if it's a type of care 
that Dumbledore has for Harry. I don't know if it's a type or simply a matter of um, how one handles the same type of care that anyone else has for him. You know, the same type of of love that uh, um, Harry's mother might have had for him or his father. Or, you know, if we think about people we actually have examples for, live examples, hot examples in the book, um, uh, like uh, Mrs. Weasley. Genuine love for Harry Potter. But... Is that the same love that Dumbledore feels for him, just handled in a different way? Or is this a different type of love that instead of giving her the truth, instead of instead of treating Harry um, sort of more as an adult and, and sparing him pain later by causing him pain now, what is the difference between those two types of love or the, those two different manners of handling the, the love and the care that one has for somebody? Because I've, like, I... I'm familiar with this position of of wanting to withhold something from from somebody that I care about, um, you know, family, what have you, um, in order to spare them pain. There's always that discussion of you know, is it is it worth it? And unfortunately, you can never really find that out until afterward. There's that saying, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, almost as if there were any other real kind of sight. Almost as if, you know, foresight is, you know, rougher. You need glasses, but, uh, you know, it's decent. And really, there are so many things like this where there are too many variables to truly say that there is any way to determine the right answer until it's already over. I don't know if I could tell you a right answer here. All I can tell you is that uh, it, it has impacted me pretty deeply. Mr. Foo says, JKR has a tweet or something about how, um, uh, okay, looks like I got to rewind a little bit. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Something about Cursed Child. I probably, I'm going to guess, I probably will not read The Cursed Child. Cursed Child, Cursed Child. Eh. I'm probably going to stop at Deathly Hallows with this one. Atomic Raptor asks, does J.K. Rowling ever say what happened to Harry's grandparents on either side? If the Dursleys are Harry's closest relatives, that must mean James and Lily both lost their parents fairly young. Mr. Foose says, no way Mrs. Weasley wanted to tell Harry about this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, this is genuine love that these people feel for Harry. Um, You know, for, you know, like... Mrs. Weasley's love for Harry, absolutely unimpeached, un... un filtered or un, unsullied by any other sort of motives, any other, um, you know, possibilities, any other need for Harry to be part of some bigger plan or anything, simply loved Harry for this, for, for the love of Harry, for, for Harry's own sake. Um, kind of incontestable there. Um, if you, if y'all have different ideas, then, then, uh, feel free to let me know. But, but, uh, that love wanted to, do the same as as what Dumbledore wanted to do here, which was to not tell Harry, was to possibly expose him to greater pain in the future in order to save him from pain now. I don't know. This Too Great asks, what is your favorite book out of the series? Mine is book five. We have just, we are on the very last chapter as of right now of my very favorite book in the series. And, uh, um, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to check up on, on discord chat in a little bit, and then, uh, I'm going to take my quick five minute break and then we are going to get back in and read our final chapter of Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix. Okay. Let's see. Um, I, I, I saw some talk about Ginny and, uh, I definitely want to jump in about that discussion. 
Let's see. Oh, we're talking. We're talking about a possible uh, re-filming of um, the Harry Potter movies, which I would love to see, but as a TV show. I would love to see it as a TV show where like a mini series where even if it's only like kind of um, I'm thinking sort of like Sherlock style um, wherein we get like even just like three or four episodes per season and then each season covers roughly one book. I would love to see that. And I think a lot of us would. But uh, I agree with I think someone has mentioned can't see anyone else as Snape. And that one, I think I can agree with it. You know, like it would be really tough for me to see somebody else as Snape. There are so many roles in that film that I could, I could definitely see re recasting, and I wouldn't really even have a, I wouldn't have a second thought about it. Um, and then there are some where it's like, you know, like uh, Gary Oldman, a fantastic choice for that, but not inexorable. I don't know that anyone can do Snape like Alan Rickman, but we shall see. Because you know they have to be, they have to be antagonistic while still being someone you could eventually you know that, that you could that you could look at and understand their position you know you could understand that you know he's not just like a, uh he's not just a creep or a weirdo he is someone who who experienced a significant amount of, of trauma sometimes at the hands of of you know people who harry thinks are important um but he's not just a jerk teacher you know what i mean there has to be somebody who can pull that off He's not just a he's not just a a prick. <laughs> um and then uh something about let's see, where's that at? Oh, somebody is and I won't I'm not gonna I'm not trying to put anybody on blast, but somebody has mentioned um the idea of like, you know, Harry needs a girlfriend, so we'll toss Ginny at them. Um I think that the Ginny and Harry pairing kind of made sense. Um what do we know about Harry and what do we know about what Harry values? Uh, and this is, this is, I'll just say this about it. I'm not even claiming to be right because I don't think there's a matter of like right and wrong here. This is just my take on it is that when we, when we look at Harry and what he really, really values, it's action. He values people who are willing to step up immediately. He also, you know, he, he needs, you know, a Hermione perhaps to, to temper his, his, desire for action, his motivation for action with um, a recognition that sometimes it's important to consider all of your options or all of the uh, factors here. For instance, is Voldemort tricking you into going? Um, he also needs people like Ron who are there to uh, who are there to to support him and to to remind him that his he, that he essentially that he's valid you know what i mean he comes from an outside world here but even people who are on the inside there are people who you need to have an idea that there are people who respect you and um and uh you know it's just somebody to to that you can listen to and they'll they'll be the ones to really give you a sense of are you really off the wall here because you know when ron disagrees with harry this must not be a great idea but that's not what Harry values personally. What he values is action. And uh, yeah, I think I think she is she is a an, a an individual who is willing to jump into action, and she is is capable too. And so I think as that as that goes on, oh, I didn't realize we are getting into some spoilers here, aren't we? But uh, anyway, oops, I'll have to put that I'll have to put that in the notes for later on once this once this gets uploaded. But um, I'm going to take my quick break. I need five minutes. Got to, got to rest my voice out. Got to drink some water. 
I'll be back in five minutes and we will continue on with our next chapter. I told y'all it's going to be a long one tonight and it is indeed going to be a long one. Okay, so I set a timer for myself, five minutes. I'll see y'all in a bit. Bye-bye. And hello once again to Mixer. How's everyone doing? <clears throat> I realized that uh, the reason why I keep feeling like I setting, I'm setting timers and nothing seems to be happening is because I have had them set to the wrong setting for uh, when they go off. I've been, uh, I've had them set, uh, occasionally use it to fall asleep, and so I have it set to stop playing, which means if I turn on a podcast, it'll just hit pause on the podcast after five minutes. So when I set a timer for five minutes, it just doesn't do anything. <sighs> okay. Chat. I'm going to check in with you all really quick, and then I'm going to do a quick um, uh, summary of our last chapter, and then we got to get into it. We got to get into it, because uh, we still have another full chapter to cover. <laughs> I hope y'all are doing great, and I hope, uh, I realize this is pretty late for some of y'all, but uh, yeah, I hope you're doing well. Okay, let's see. Um, we're seeing... Uh, let's see, who put it in there? Linz says, who's the character you most love to hate? And uh, we've got Ash says Bellatrix, Linz has got Umbridge, Pokemon Girl just says Death Eaters in general. Uh, we've got another one for Umbridge, Linz says Nifflers. Oh, favorite creature of the books, Nifflers. Um, and Ace Boogie says the twins. <laughs> uh, and then Mixer's talking about possible like spinoff series. Is, 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 is. Everyone's favorite character. Um, we're talking, looks like Ginny, Lupin, or Sirius. We've got McGonagall, of course. Fred, George, McGonagall, Tonks. I wish we had seen more from Tonks. I think that would have been a fun one. Um, and then like a, a spinoff, like miniseries from, from the Weasleys. Maybe we can add that onto our Sherlock style uh, series. We can just get one, one three episode arc of just the Weasleys, the Weasley twins, what they get up to. Um, Let's see. Dobby, SBW. And Michelle says, I want a story about the life of Bellatrix. I want to know how and why she ended, uh, how and why she became what she is. Something bad must have happened there. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, boy, there's, there's so much like deeper universe material that I would love to get. And then of course, in the event that I were to ever actually get it, who knows how I would feel about it because I do feel so strongly now about how things currently are. So for, for that to be expanded and that's the thing, that's the that's the real um, conflict that I don't think most people realize about rebooting stuff like this and trying to do, you know, deeper uh, additional expanded universe stuff is that you've got two options and each one is essentially bad. Either... You try and reboot uh, the series that doesn't have any real stakes relating to the main series. So you try to reboot it where you you don't, you know, whatever the big bad thing that happens is, it won't necessarily affect the course of, of the other books, uh, of the, the original stuff. Um, or uh, you don't learn anything new in that, any new system, you know, like the, like the um, oh, what are they called, Obscurus or something uh, from, from uh, Fantastic Beasts. But... Though that's that's sort of new stuff. So you can sort of step back and and try not to cover anything that would sort of interrupt or alter the uh Did I just poof? Huh? Huh? Um uh, or alter the, the original stuff. And that's not great because then, you know, what is the point of sort of tuning into that? 
What, what's the attraction there? The alternative is to do something that does have some effect, that does, it ha does have some kind of stakes in the original universe, the original material. And that is often equally bad because no matter what you try to touch there, what you try to change, you're changing somebody's favorite thing, essentially. When it's something at the scale of a Harry Potter or something like that, somebody, their favorite thing was the thing that you tried to change or that you adjusted or that you you uh, suddenly give a history to. So, eh, it's tough. It's really tough to try and reboot something like this. But that's the discussion we've got time for. We got to go. We got to go. Um, and uh, okay, so chapter 37. This is our summary from last time for anybody who's just tuning in. Um, we have uh, Sirius Black has passed. And uh, Dumbledore has has uh, kicked Voldemort's butt out of the Ministry of Magic. Um, at the beginning of our last chapter, of, of, of our first chapter for tonight, um, Harry goes to Dumbledore's office with a port key and waits for Dumbledore there. And while there, they have a long discussion that I'm actually, it's so much detail that I'm probably not going to go into super fine um, uh, detail about what was actually discussed here. You should you should just listen to the chapter at some point. But for those of you who are tuning in, essentially, there was a prophecy made a long time ago. And the, the thing that Harry was holding in his hand, that glass sphere, it was just a record of, of this prophecy. But the prophecy essentially said that someone born when Harry was born uh, was going to be marked by Voldemort as his rival and neither can live while the other survives. Essentially, one of them is going to have to kill the other one. Now, we don't know because apparently Harry and Neville Longbottom fit the kind of requirements for for this, uh, this prophecy. But um, in attacking Harry, Voldemort kind of fulfilled a part of the promise, uh, a part of the prophecy and marked Harry formally as his rival. And so now Dumbledore says there is, there is certainty that Harry is the marked one. Harry and Voldemort are locked together by this prophecy. Neither can live while the other one survives. That's where we're at. Um, and then we get a, a pretty long account of why Dumbledore didn't tell him sooner. And it was essentially, it all comes down to the fact that he wanted to save Harry some pain for right now. Knowing that it would cause him more pain later on wanted to save Harry the pain of knowing that he was tied to Voldemort, that the only way that he would ever really truly live was for him to kill Voldemort, or Voldemort was going to kill him. So that is where we are at. We are starting chapter 38, which is the final chapter of book five. And I want to say thank you so much from way, way, way deep down in my heart. I love y'all. Um, Nate, of course, thank you so much for uh, for helping me to to stick with this. You've you've had some dedication to this. Occasionally, on days when it's been challenging for me to get there, um, and a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Michaela with uh, the the various uh, interesting special things that that you've done for the channel. Um, Cass uh, helping me out, being my special assistant, and then all of the people. Um, Rachel, not this particular one that's in chat tonight, but I do appreciate you as well because Rachel, you have become a, a definitely a familiar face around here, and uh, so I appreciate you as well. But um, uh, 
people who have been here for a long time. Uh, Mr. Foose is uh, is one from way, way back. I would say Mr. Foose is one of the earliest, like, dedicated names who wasn't related to me um, in some way. Uh, but uh, my Rachel, my sister, who got me started on all this, she was the reason I started doing this. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to forget people because it's been such a fun, long journey of, of interesting nights doing this with you all. I gotta stop delaying. We gotta get into it. Oh man, okay, here we go. We're starting. As usual, go ahead and uh, if you've got something you'd like to discuss, do put it in chat. I would love to talk about it. Chapter 38, The Second War Begins. He who must not be named returns. In a brief statement on Friday night, Mast Minister for Magic Cornelius Fudge confirmed that he who must not be named has returned to this country and is active once more. It is with great regret that I must inform the wizarding community styling that the wizard styling himself Lord, well, you know who I mean, is alive and among us again, said Fudge, looking tired and flustered as he addressed reporters. It is with almost equal regret that we report that the mass revolt of the Dementors of Azkaban, who have shown themselves averse to continuing in the ministry's employ. We believe that the Dementors are currently taking direction from the Lord Thingy. We urge the magical population to remain vigilant. The Ministry is currently publishing guides to elementary home and personal defense, which will be delivered free to all wizarding homes within the coming month. The Minister's statement was met with dismay and alarm from the wizarding community, which was recently, as Wednesday, receiving Ministry assurances that there was no truth whatsoever in these persistent rumors that you know who is operating against us once more. Details of the events that led to the Ministry turnaround are still hazy, though it is believed that he who must not be named is a select and a select band of followers, known as Death Eaters, gained entry into the Ministry of Magic itself on Thursday evening. Albus Dumbledore, newly reinstated headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, reinstated member of the International Confederation of Wizards, and reinstated Chief Warlock of the Wizarding Gambit, has so far been unavailable for comment. He has insisted over the past year that you-know-who is not dead, as was widely hoped and believed, but is recruiting followers once more fresh for an attempt to seize power. Meanwhile, the boy who lived... There you are, Harry. I knew that they'd drag you into it somehow, said Hermione, looking over the top of the paper at him. They were in the hospital wing. Harry was sitting on the end of Ron's bed, and they were both listening to Hermione read the front page of the Daily Prophet. Ginny, whose ankle had been mended in a trice by Madame Pomfrey, was curled up at the foot of Hermione's bed. Neville whose nose had likewise been returned to its normal size and shape, was in a chair between the two beds. And Luna, who had stopped in to visit, clutching the latest edition of the Quibbler, was reading the magazine upside down and apparently not taking in a word of what Hermione was saying. Eh, uh, he's the boy who lived now again, isn't he? said Ron darkly. Not such a deluded show-off anymore, eh? He helped himself to a handful of chocolate frogs from the immense pile on the bedside table threw a few to Harry, Ginny, and Neville, and ripped off the wrapper of his own with his teeth. There were still deep welts in his forearms where the brain's tentacles had wrapped around him. According to Madame Pomfrey, thoughts could leave even deeper scarring than almost anything else. Though, since she had started applying copious amounts of Dr. Ubley's oblivious unction, there seemed to have been some improvement. "'Oh, they're very complimentary about you now, Harry,' 
said Hermione, scanning down the article. A lone voice of truth, perceived as unbalanced yet never wavering in his story, forced to bear ridicule and slander. Hmm, she said, frowning. I noticed they don't mention the fact that it was them doing all the ridiculous slandering in the prophet. She winced slightly and put a hand to her ribs. The curse that Dalahav had used on her, though less effective than it would have been, had he been able to say the incantation aloud, had nevertheless caused, in Madame Pomfrey's words, quite enough damage to be going on with. Hermione was having to take ten different types of potion a day, was improving greatly, and was already bored with the hospital wing. You know whose last attempt to take over? Pages two to four. What the Ministry should have told us, page five. Why nobody listened to Albus Dumbledore, pages six to eight. Exclusive interview with Harry Potter, page nine. Well, said Hermione, folding up the newspaper and throwing it aside. It's certainly given them lots to write about. And that interview with Harry isn't exclusive. It's the one that was in the Quibbler months ago. Daddy sold it to them, said Luna vaguely, turning a page of the Quibbler. And got a very good price for it, too. So we're going to go on an expedition to Sweden this summer to see if we can catch a crumple-horned snorkak. Hermione seemed to struggle with herself for a moment, then said, That sounds lovely. Ginny caught Harry's eye and looked away quickly, grinning. So, anyway, said Hermione, sitting up a little straighter and wincing again, what's going on in school? Well, Flitwick's got rid of Fred and George's swamp, said Ginny. He did it in about three seconds, but he left a tiny patch under the window that he's roped off. Why? said Hermione, looking startled. Oh, he just says it was a really good bit of magic, said Ginny, shrugging. I think he left it as a monument to Fred and George, said Ron, through a mouthful of chocolate. I think all these things, you know, he told Harry, pointing at the small mountain full of mountain of frogs beside them. Must be doing all right out of that joke shop, eh? Hermione looked rather disapproving and asked, So has all the trouble stopped now that Dumbledore's back? Yes, said Neville. Everything's settled back to Dobble. I suppose Filch is happy, is he? said Ron, propping a chocolate frog card featuring Dumbledore on his water jug. Not at all, said Ginny. He's really, really miserable, actually. She lowered her voice to a whisper. He keeps telling Umbridge that... He keeps saying that Umbridge was the best thing to ever happen to Hogwarts. All six of them looked around. Professor Umbridge was lying in a bed opposite them, gazing up at the ceiling. Dumbledore had strode alone into the forest to rescue her from the centaurs, how he had done it, how he had emerged from the trees supporting Professor Umbridge without so much as a scratch on him, nobody knew. And Umbridge was certainly not telling. Since she had returned to the castle, she had not, so far as any of them knew, uttered a single word. Nobody really knew what was wrong with her either. Her usually neat, mousy hair was very untidy and there were still bits of twigs and leaves in it. But otherwise, she seemed quite unscathed. Okay, I have to pause for a moment because I just had a crazy idea. What if we did get a spin-off series about other things happening contemporaneously with this and what happened to Umbridge in the woods was some other additional crazy centaur prophecy that they exposed her to and it sort of drew her drove her half crazy. <laughs> just had that one off the dome. All right, sorry, I got to keep going. I had to mention it, otherwise I was definitely going to forget about it. Madame Pomfrey says she's just in shock, whispered Hermione. Sulking, more like, 
said Ginny. Yeah, she saw signs of life if you do this, said Ron. And with his tongue, he gave a soft clip-clopping noise. Umbridge sat bolt upright, looking around wildly. Anything wrong, Professor? Uh, uh, called Madame Pomfrey, poking her head around the office door. No, no, said Umbridge, sinking back into her pillows. No, I'm, I must have been dreaming. Hermione and Ginny muffled their laughter in the bedclothes. Speaking of centaurs, said Hermione, when she recovered a little, who's divination teacher now? Is Varenne staying? He's got to, said Harry. The other centaurs won't take him back, will they? It looks like he and Trelawney are both going to teach, said Ginny. Bet Dumbledore wishes he could have got rid of Trelawney for good, said Ron, now munching on his fourteenth frog. Mind you, the old subject's useless if you ask me. Forens isn't a lot better. How can you say that? Hermione demanded, after we just found out that there were real prophecies. Harry's heart began to race. He had not told Ron, Hermione, or anyone else what the prophecy had contained. Neville had told them that it had smashed, while Harry had been pulling him up the steps in the death room, and Harry had not yet corrected this impression. He wasn't ready to see their expressions when he told them that he must either be murderer or victim. There was no other way. "'It's a pity that it broke,' said Hermione quietly, shaking her head. "'Yeah, it is,' said Ron. "'Still, at least you know who never found out what was in it either. "'Where are you going?' he added looking both surprised and disappointed as Harry stood up. Um, Hagrid's, said Harry. You know, he just got back and I promised I'd go down and see him and tell him how you two are. Oh, all right then, said Ron grumpily, looking out of the dormitory window at the patch of bright blue sky beyond. Wish we could come. Say hello to him for us, called Hermione as Harry proceeded down the ward, and ask him about what's happened, about, about his little friend. Harry gave a wave of his hand to show that he had heard and understood as he left the dormitory. The castle seemed very quiet, even for a Sunday. Everybody was clearing out in the sunny grounds, enjoying the end of their exams and the prospect of a few last days of term unhampered by revision or homework. Harry walked slowly along the deserted corridor, peering out of the windows as he went. He could see people messing around in the air over the Quidditch pitch and a couple of students swimming in the lake accompanied by the giant squid. He was finding it hard to decide whether he wanted to be with people or not. Whether he was in the company he wanted... Whenever he was in company, he wanted to get away. And whenever he was alone, he wanted company. He thought he really might go visit Hagrid, though, as he had not talked to him properly since he'd returned. Harry had just descended the last marble step into the entrance hall when Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle emerged from the door to the right that Harry knew led down to the Slytherin common room. Harry stopped dead. So did Malfoy and the others. The only sounds were the shouts, laughter, and splashes drifting into the hall from the grounds through the open front doors. Malfoy glanced around. Harry knew he was checking for signs of teachers. Then he looked back and said to Harry in a low voice, You're dead, Potter. Harry raised his eyebrows. Funny, he said. You'd think I'd have stopped walking around. 
Malfoy looked angrier than Harry had ever seen him. He felt a kind of detached satisfaction at the sight of his pale, pointed face contorted with rage. "'You're going to pay,' said Malfoy in a voice barely louder than a whisper. "'I'm going to make you pay for what you've done to my father.' "'Well, I'm terrified now,' said Harry sarcastically. "'I suppose Lord Voldemort's just a warm-up act compared to you three. "'What's the matter?' he added, for Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle had all looked stricken at the sound of the name. "'He's your dad's mate, isn't he? Not scared of him, are you?' "'You think you're such a big man, Potter,' said Malfoy, advancing now, Crabbe and Goyle flanking him. "'You wait. I'll have you. You can't land my father in prison.' "'I thought I just had,' said Harry. "'The Dementors have left Azkaban,' said Malfoy quietly. Dad and the others will be out in no time. Yeah, I expect they will, said Harry. Still, at least everyone knows what scumbags they are now. Malfoy's hand flew toward his wand, but Harry was too quick for him. He had drawn his own wand before Malfoy's fingers had even entered his pockets. Potter! The voice rang across the entrance hall. Snape had emerged from the staircase leading down to his office, and at the sight of him, Harry gave a rake. Harry felt a great rush of hatred beyond anything he had felt towards Malfoy. Whatever Dumbledore had said, he would never forgive Snape. Never. "'What are you doing, Potter?' said Snape, as coldly as ever, and he strode over to the four of them. "'I was trying to decide which curse to use on Malfoy, sir,' said Harry fiercely. Snape stared at him. Put that wand away at once, he said curtly. Ten points from Griffin. Snape looked toward the giant hourglass on the wall and gave a sneering smile. Mm, I see there are no longer any points left in the Gryffindor hourglass to take away. In that case, Potter, we will simply have to... Add some more! Professor McGonagall had just stumped up the stone steps into the castle. She was carrying a tartan carpet bag in one hand and leaning heavily on a walking stick with the other, but otherwise looked quite well. Professor McGonagall, said Snape, striding forward, out of St. Mungo's, I see. Yes, Professor Snape, said Professor McGonagall, shrugging off her travelling cloak. I'm quite as good as new. You too, Crab, Goyle. She beckoned them imperiously, and they came, shuffling their large feet and looking awkward. Here. Yeah said Professor McGonagall, thrusting her carpet bag into Crab's chest and her cloak into Goyle's. Take these up to my office for me. They turned and stumped away up the marble staircase. Right then, said Professor McGonagall, looking up at the hourglass on the wall. Well, I think Potter and his friends ought to have fifty points apiece for alerting the world to the return of you-know-who. What say you, Professor Snape? What? snapped Snape, though Harry knew he had heard perfectly well. Oh, well, I suppose. So that's fifty each for Potter, the two Weasleys, Longbottom, and Miss Granger, said Professor McGonagall, and a shower of rubies fell down into the bottom bulb of Gryffindor's hourglass as she spoke. Oh, and another fifty for Miss Lovegood, I suppose, she added, and a number of sapphires fell into Ravenclaw's glass. Now I think you wanted to take ten from Mr. Potter, Professor Snape, so 
There we are. A few rubies retreated into the upper bulb, leaving a respectable amount below, nevertheless. Well, Potter, Malfoy, I think you ought to be outside on a glorious day like this, Professor McGonagall continued briskly. Harry did not need telling twice. He thrust his wand back inside his robes and headed straight for the front doors without another glance at Snape and Malfoy. The hot sun hit him with a blast as he walked across the lawn toward Hagrid's cabin. Students lying around in the grass, sunbathing, talking, reading the Daily Prophet, eating sweets, looked up at him as he passed. Some called out to him, or else waved, clearly eager to show that they, like the Prophet, had decided he was something of a hero. Harry said nothing to any of them. He had no idea how much... Hmm. He had no idea how much they knew of what had happened three days ago. But he had so far avoided being questioned and preferred to keep it that way. He thought at first, when he knocked on Hagrid's cabin, that he was out. But then Fang came charging around the corner and almost bowled him over with enthusiasm of his welcome. Hagrid, it transpired, was picking runner beans in his back garden. All right, Harry, he said, beaming, when Harry approached the fence. Come in, come in. Uh, we'll have a cup of dandelion juice. How's things? Harry asked him, and they settled down at his wooden table with a glass apiece of iced juice. Iced, not ice juice. That's just water. Yeah. You uh, feeling all right, are you? Harry knew from the look of concern on Hagrid's face that he was not referring to Harry's physical well-being. I'm fine, said Harry quickly, because he could not bear to discuss the thing he knew was on Hagrid's mind. So, where have you been? I've been hiding up in the mountains, said Hagrid. Up in a cave, like Sirius did when he... Hagrid broke off, cleared his throat gruffly, looked at Harry, and then took a long draught of juice. <clears throat> Um, anyway, back now, he said feebly. You, you look better, said Harry, who was determined to keep the conversation moving away from Sirius. Oh, said Hagrid, raising a massive hand and feeling his face. Oh, oh, yeah, well, Grobby's loads better behave now. Loads. He seems right pleased to see me when I get back, tell you the truth. He's a good lad, really. I've been thinking about trying to find him a lady friend, actually. Harry would normally have tried to persuade Hagrid out of this idea at once. The prospect of a second giant taking up residence in the forest, possibly even wilder and more brutal than Grop, was positively alarming. But somehow Harry could not muster the I Harry could not muster the energy necessary to argue the point. He was starting to wish that he was alone again. And with the idea of hastening his departure, he took several large gulps of his dandelion juice, half emptying his glass. Everyone knows you've been telling the truth now, Harry, said Hagrid softly and unexpectedly. He was watching Harry closely. That's got to be better, hasn't it? Harry shrugged. Look. Hagrid leaned toward him across the table. I knew Sirius longer than you did. He died in battle, and that's the way that he would have wanted to go. He didn't want to go at all, said Harry angrily. Hagrid bowed his great shaggy head. Nah, 
I don't reckon he did, he said quietly. But still, hurry. He was never one to sit around at home and let the other people do the fighting. He couldn't have lived with himself if he hadn't gone to help. Harry leapt up. I've got to go visit Ron and Hermione in the hospital wing, he said mechanically. Oh, said Hagrid, looking rather upset. Oh, all right then, Harry. You take care of yourself then. And drop back in if you got a... Yeah, right. Harry crossed to the door as fast as he could and pulled it open. He was out in the sunshine again before, Harry, before Hagrid had finished saying goodbye and was walking away across the lawn. Once again, people called out to him as he passed. He closed his eyes for a moment, wishing they would all vanish, that he could open his eyes and find himself alone in the grounds. A few days ago, before his exams had finished, and he had seen the vision that Voldemort had planted in his mind, he would have given almost anything for the wizarding world to know that he had been telling the truth, for them to believe that Voldemort was back and to know that he was neither a liar nor mad. Now, however, he walked a short way around the lake sat down on its bank, sheltered from the gaze of passers-by behind a tangle of shrubs, and stared over the gleaming water, thinking. Perhaps the reason he wanted to be alone was because he had felt isolated from everybody since his talk with Dumbledore. An invisible barrier separated him from the rest of the world. He was, he had always been, a marked man. It was just that he had never really understood what that meant. And yet, sitting here on the edge of the lake, with the terrible weight of grief dragging at him, with the loss of Sirius so raw and fresh inside, he could not muster any great sense of fear. It was sunny, and the grounds around him were full of laughing people, and even though he felt as distant from them as he felt to a different race... It was still very hard to believe as he sat there that his life must include, or end in, murder. I read that wrong and it made it sound really strange, so I'm going to take that one back again. And even though he felt as distant from them as though he belonged to a different race, it was still very hard to believe that as he sat there, that his life must include, or end in, murder. He sat there for a very long time, gazing out at the water, trying not to think about his godfather, or to remember that it was directly across from here, on the opposite bank, that Sirius had once collapsed, trying to fend off a hundred Dementors. The sun had set before he realized he was cold. He got up and returned to the castle, wiping his face on his sleeve as he went. Quick chatter break. Again, super quick one because, uh, because boy, we are running over time here. That's all right. It's a long one and I feel good about it. First of all, uh, some people, including me, have just found out that dandelion juice is a real thing. Uh, Ash has it. Let's see. Is it Ash? Yep. Ash. It's like lavender lemonade, says Ash. Okay. Well, in that case, I probably have to try it because I love lavender and I like lemonade. <laughs> 
Uh, and Lynn says, I love that McGonagall sounds like the Dowager Countess of Grantham. Is that the one, is that the one that uh, Maggie Smith plays in Downton Abbey? It would be great if it did. It would be great if it was. And Ash says, I love how she is perfectly Scottish. <laughs> I hope I'm doing it justice. There's a, um, I believe she consulted, um, uh, Dame Maggie Smith consulted with a particular, Stephen Fry told a, a story about this once. Um, apparently a, a very insulted Scottish woman that uh, my Scots, my Scots, Scotch, my Scotch, Scots is awesome. Thank you very much, Cloud Kicker. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently Dame Maggie Smith consulted with a, a very particularly accented uh, Scottish woman prior to her role in this. Well, Ash, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, and Courtney says, I find it weird that the fact that I find it weird the fact that Neville and Harry have the same birthday. It only came up now. And Witchy Witch says it's not the same. It's uh, Neville's is on the 30th and Harry's is July 31st. I had that same thought. I, I was like, wait, they have the same birthday? And then I realized, no, it doesn't actually say um, that they have the same birthday, just that it's at the, what, the death of the seventh month. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. But, uh, right? Um, I don't want to look like a fool, so I'm about to do some foolish math. January, February, March, April, May, June. July. Yes. Okay. So at the death of the seventh month. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's close up. But I do think I, as I was reading it, um, I was also thinking, uh, like, have we ever experienced like around Harry's birthday, like mentions of Neville or like, is he getting presents or what, what's going on in Neville's life during that time? But I think generally Harry is at home during that portion because it's during the summer. So not in such close proximity to uh, to Neville. Okay, we're going to keep going. Ron and Hermione left the hospital wing completely cured three days before the end of term. Hermione kept showing signs of wanting to talk about Sirius, but Ron tended to make hushing noises every time she mentioned his name. Harry was still not sure whether he wanted to talk about his godfather yet. His wishes varied with his mood. He knew one thing, though. Unhappy as he felt at the moment, he would greatly miss Hogwarts in a few days' time, and he was back at number four Privet Drive. Even though he now understood exactly why he had to return there every summer, he didn't feel any better about it. Indeed, he had never dreaded his return more. Professor Umbridge left Hogwarts the day before the end of term. It seemed she had crept out of the hospital wing during dinner time, evidently hoping to depart undetected, but unfortunately for her, she met Peeves on the way, who seized his last chance to do as Fred had instructed and chased her gleefully from the president's, whacking her alternately with a walking stick and a sock full of chalk. Many students ran out into the entrance hall to watch her running away down the path as the heads of houses tried, only half-heartedly, to restrain them. Indeed, Professor McGonagall sank back onto her chair at the staff table after a few feeble remonstrances and was clearly heard to express a regret that she could not run in cheering after Umbridge herself, because Peeves had borrowed her walking stick. Their last evening at school arrived. Most people had finished packing and were already heading down to the end-of-term feast, but Harry had not even started. Just do it tomorrow! said Ron, who was waiting by the door of the dormitory. Come on, I'm starving. I won't be long. Look, you go ahead. 
but when the dormitory door do 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 so you can get the fatigue the fatigue starts in on me after about after about two hours honestly but when the dormitory door closed behind Ron Harry made no effect hmm boy oh boy oh boy Harry made no effort to speed up his packing the very last thing he wanted to do was attend the leaving feast he was worried that Dumbledore might make some reference to him in his speech he was sure to mention Voldemort's return and he had talked to them about it all last year after all Harry pulled some crumpled robes out of the very bottom of his trunk to make way for folded ones, and as he did so, noticed a badly wrapped package lying in a corner of it. He could not think what it was doing there. He bent down, pulled it out from underneath his trainers, and examined it. He realized what it was within seconds. Sirius had given it to him just inside the front door of number 12, Grimald Place. Use it if you need me, all right? Harry sank down onto his bed and unwrapped the package. Out fell a small square mirror. It looked old. It was certainly dirty. Harry held it up to his face and saw his own reflection looking back at him. He turned the mirror over. There on the reverse side was a scribbled note from Sirius. This is a two-way mirror. I've got the other. If you need to speak to me, just say my name into it. You'll appear in my mirror, and I'll be able to talk in yours. James and I used to use them when we were in separate detentions. Harry's heart began to race. He remembered seeing his dead parents in the mirror of Erised four years ago. He was going to be able to talk to Sirius again, right now. He knew it. He looked around to make sure that nobody else was in the dormitory. It was quite empty. He looked back at the mirror, raised it in front of his face, with trembling hands, and said loudly and clearly, Sirius! His breath misted the surface of the glass. He held the mirror even closer, excitement flooding through him, but the eyes blinking back at him through the fog were definitely his own. He wiped the mirror clear again and said, so that every syllable rang clearly through the room, Sirius Black! Nothing happened. The frustrated face looking back out of the mirror was still definitely his own. Sirius didn't have his mirror on him when he went through the archway, said a small voice in Harry's head. That's why it's not working. Harry remained quite still for a moment, then hurled the mirror back into the trunk where it shattered. He had been convinced for a whole shining minute that he was going to be able to see Sirius, talk to him again. Disappointment was burning his throat. He got up and began throwing his things pell-mell into the trunk on top of the broken mirror. But then an idea struck him. A better idea than a mirror. A much bigger, more important idea. How had he never thought of it before? Why had he never asked? He was sprinting out of the dormitory and down the spiral staircase, hitting the walls as he ran and barely noticing. He hurtled across the common room empty... He hurtled across the empty common room, through the portrait hole and off along the corridor, ignoring the fat lady who called after him, The feast is about to start, you know. They're cutting it very fine. Oh, you're cutting it very fine. 
but Harry had no intention of going to the feast. How could it be that the place was full of ghosts whenever you needed one, and yet now he ran down the staircases and along the corridors and met nobody either dead or alive. They were all clearly in the great hall. Outside his charms classroom, he came to a halt, panting and thinking disconsolately that he would have to wait here until later, till after the end of the feast. Just as he had given up hope, he saw it, a translucent somebody drifting along the end of the corridor. Hey, hey, Nick, Nick! The ghost stuck its head back out of the wall, revealing the extravagantly plumed hat and dangerously wobbling head of Sir Nicholas de Mimsey Porpington. Good evening, he said, withdrawing the rest of his body into this, from the solid stone and smiling at Harry. I'm not the only one who's late, then. Though, he sighed, in a rather different sense, of course. Nick, can I ask you something? A most peculiar expression stole over nearly headless Nick's face as he inserted a finger into the stiff ruff at his neck and tugged it a little straighter, apparently giving himself thinking time. He detested. He desisted only when his partially severed neck seemed about to give way completely. Um, now, hurry," said Nick, looking discomfited. "Can't it wait until after the feast?" "No, Nick, please," said Harry. "I really need to talk to you. Can we go in here?" He opened the door to the nearest classroom and nearly headless Nick sighed. Oh, very well, he said, looking resigned. I can't pretend I haven't been expecting it. Harry was holding the door open for him, but he drifted through the wall instead. Expecting what? Harry asked as he closed the door. You to come and find me, said Nick now gliding over to the window and looking out at the darkened grounds. It happens sometimes when someone has experienced a loss. Well, said Harry, refusing to be deflected, you were right, I've come to find you. Nick said nothing. It's, said Harry, who was finding this more awkward than he had anticipated. It's just, you're dead. But you're still here, aren't you? Nick sighed and continued to gaze out at the grounds. That's right, isn't it? Harry urged him. You died, but I'm talking to you. You can walk around Hogwarts and everything, can't you? Yes, said nearly headless Nick quietly. I walk and talk, yes. So you came back, didn't you? said Harry urgently. People can come back, right? As ghosts. They don't have to disappear completely. Well, he added impatiently when Nick continued to say nothing. Nearly headless Nick hesitated, then said, Not everyone can come back as a ghost. What do you mean? said Harry quickly. Only, only wizards. Oh, said Harry, and he almost laughed with relief. Oh, well, that's okay then. The person I'm asking about is a wizard, so he can come back, right? Nick turned away from the window and looked mournfully at Harry. 
He won't come back. Who? Sirius Black, said Nick. But you did, said Harry angrily. You came back, you're dead and you didn't disappear. Wizards can leave an imprint of themselves upon the earth to walk palely where their living selves once trod, said Nick miserably. But very few wizards choose that path. Why not, said Harry. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sirius won't care if it's unusual. He'll come back. I know he will. And so strong was his belief, Harry actually turned his head to check the door, sure that for a split second that he was going to see Sirius, pearly white and transparent but beaming, walking through it toward him. He will not come back, repeated Nick. He will have gone on. What do you mean, gone on? said Harry quickly. Gone on where? Listen, what happens when you die, anyway? Where do you go? Why doesn't everyone come back? Why isn't this place full of ghosts? Why... I, I cannot answer, said Nick. You're dead, aren't you? said Harry exasperatedly. Who can answer better than you? I was afraid of death, said Nick softly. I chose to remain behind. I, I sometimes wonder whether I oughtn't to have. Well, that is neither here nor there. I, in fact, I am neither here or there. <laughs> he gave a small, sad chuckle. I know nothing of the secrets of death, Harry, for I chose my feeble imitation of life instead. I believe learned wizards study the matter in the Department of Mysteries. Don't talk to me about that place, said Harry fiercely. I am sorry not to have been more help, said Nick gently. Well, well do excuse me. The, the feast, you know. And he left the room, leaving Harry there alone, gazing blankly at the wall through which Nick had disappeared. Harry felt almost as though he had lost his godfather all over again, in losing the hope that he might be able to see or speak to him once more. He walked slowly and miserably back up through the empty castle, wondering whether he would ever feel cheerful again. He had turned the corner toward the fat lady's corridor when he saw somebody up ahead of him fastening a note to a board on the wall. A second glance showed him it was Luna. There were no good hiding places nearby. She was bound to have heard his footsteps, and in any case, Harry could hardly muster the energy to avoid anyone at the moment. Hello, said Luna vaguely, glancing around at him as she stepped back from the notice. How come you're not at the feast? Harry asked. Well, I've lost most of my possessions, said Luna serenely. People take them and hide them, you know. But as it's the last night, I really do need them back, so I've been putting up signs. She gestured toward the notice board, upon which, sure enough, she had pinned a list of all of her missing books and clothes, with a plea for their return. An odd feeling rose in Harry, an emotion quite different from the anger and grief that had filled him since Sirius's death. It was a few moments before he realized he was feeling sorry for Luna. How come people hide your stuff? he asked her, frowning. Oh, well, she shrugged. 
I think they think I'm a bit odd, you know? Some people call me Looney Lovegood, actually. Harry looked at her, and the new feeling of pity intensified rather painfully. That's no reason for them to take your things, he said flatly. Do you want help finding them? Oh, no, she said, smiling at him. They'll come back. They always do in the end. It was just that I wanted to pack tonight. Anyway, why aren't, why aren't you at the feast? Harry shrugged. I just don't feel like it. No, said Luna, observing him with those oddly misty, protuberant eyes. I don't suppose you do. That man that the Death Eaters killed was your godfather, wasn't he? Ginny told me. Harry nodded curtly, but found that for some reason he did not mind Luna talking about Sirius. He had just remembered that she too could see Thestrals. Have you... he began. I mean, who... has anyone you know ever died? Yes, said Luna simply. My mother. She was... A quite extraordinary witch, you know, but she did like to experiment, and one of her spells went rather badly wrong one day. I was nine. I'm sorry, Harry mumbled. Yes, it was rather horrible, said Luna conversationally. I still feel very sad about it sometimes, but I've still got Dad, and anyway, it's not as though I'll never see Mum again, is it? Uh, it isn't, said Harry uncertainly. She shook her head in disbelief. Oh, come on. You heard them. Just behind the veil, didn't you? You mean... In that room, with the archway. They were just lurking out of sight, that's all. You heard them. They looked at each other. Luna was smiling slightly. Harry did not know what to say, or to think. Luna believed so many extraordinary things, yet he had been sure that he had heard voices behind the veil, too. "'Are you sure that you don't want me to help you look for your stuff?' he said. "'Oh, no,' said Luna. "'No, I think I'll just go down and have some pudding and wait for it all to turn up. It always does in the end. "'Well, have a nice holiday, Harry.' "'Yeah, yeah, you too.' She walked away from him, and as he watched her go, he found that the terrible weight in his stomach seemed to have lessened slightly. The journey home in the Hogwarts Express the next day was eventful in several ways. Firstly, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle, who had been clearly waiting all week for the opportunity to strike without teacher witnesses, attempted to ambush Harry halfway down the train as he made his way back from the toilet. The attack might have succeeded had it not been for the fact that they had unwittingly chosen to stage the attack right outside a compartment full of DA members, who saw what was happening through the glass and rose as one to rush to Harry's aid. By the time Ernie McMillan, Hannah Abbott, Susan Bones, Justin Finch-Fletchley, Anthony Goldstein, and Terry Boot had finished using a wide array of hexes and jinxes Harry had taught them, Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle resembled nothing so much as three gigantic slugs squeezed into the Hogwarts uniforms as Harry, Ernie, and Justin hoisted them into the luggage rack and left them there to ooze. I must say I'm looking forward to seeing Malfoy's mother's face when he gets off the train, 
said Ernie, with some satisfaction as he watched Malfoy squirm above them. Ernie had never quite got over the indignity of Malfoy docking points from Hufflepuff during his brief spell as a member of the Inquisitorial Squad. Goyle's mum will be really pleased, though, said Ron, who had come to investigate the source of the commotion. He's loads better looking now. Anyway, Harry, the food trolley's just stopped if you want anything. Harry thanked the others and accompanied Ron back to their compartment, where he bought a large pile of cauldron cakes and pumpkin pasties. Hermione was reading the Daily Prophet again, Ginny was doing a quiz in the Quibbler, and Neville was stroking his Mimbulus Mimbletonia, which had grown a good deal over the, le- over the last year and now made odd crooning noises when touched. Harry and Ron whiled away most of the journey, playing wizard chess, while Hermione read out snippets from the Prophet. It was now full of articles about how to repel Dementors, attempts by the Ministry to track down Death Eaters, and hysterical letters claiming that the writer had seen Lord Voldemort walking past their house that very morning. It hasn't really started yet, sighed Hermione gloomily, folding the newspaper up again. But it won't be long now. Aye, Harry, said Ron softly, nodding toward the glass window under the corridor. Harry looked around. Cho was passing, accompanied by Marietta Edgecombe, who was wearing a balaclava. His and Cho's eyes met for a moment. Cho blushed and kept walking. Harry looked back down at the chessboard just in time to see one of his pawns chased off its square by Ron's knight. What's, uh, what's going on with you and her, anyway? Ron said quietly. Nothing, said Harry truthfully. I, um, heard she's going out with someone else now, said Hermione tentatively. Harry was surprised to find that this information did not hurt at all. Wanting to impress Cho seemed to belong to a past that was no longer quite connected with him. So much of what he had wanted before Sirius's death felt that way these days. That one just sounded like gobbledygook, so I'm going to try that one again. Wanting so, wanting to impress Cho seemed to belong to a past that was no longer quite connected with him. So much of what he had wanted before Sirius's death felt that way these days. The week that had elapsed since he had last seen Sirius seemed to have lasted much, much longer. It stretched across two universes, the one with Sirius in it, and the one without. "'You're well out of it, mate,' said Ron forcefully. "'I mean, she's quite good-looking and all that, but you want someone a bit more cheerful.' "'She's probably cheerful enough with someone else,' said Harry, shrugging. "'Who's she going on with now, anyway?' Ron asked Hermione, but it was Ginny who answered. "'Michael Corner,' she said. "'Michael, but—' Ron grinned around in his seat to stare at her. "'But you were going out with him.' "'Not any more,' said Ginny resolutely. "'He didn't like Gryffindor beating Ravenclaw at Quidditch. "'He got really sulky, so I ditched him. "'Ran off to comfort Cho instead.' "'Oh, so I ditched him, and he ran off to comfort Cho instead.' She scratched her nose absently with the end of her quill, turned the quibbler upside down, and began marking her answers. Ron looked highly delighted. Well, I always thought he was a bit of an idiot, he said, prodding his queen forward toward Harry's quivering castle. Good for you. Just choose someone better next time. 
He cast Harry an oddly furtive look as he said it. "'Well, I've chosen Dean Thomas. Would you say that he's better?' asked Ginny vaguely. "'What?' shouted Ron, upending the chessboard. Crookshanks went plunging over the pieces, and Hedwig and Pigwidgeon twittered and hooted angrily from overhead. <laughs> That's, that is one of those not-great impressions that I do. This one happens to be of an owl. And here, in his natural environment, Sam, of the sidecar story species, has made an attempt to woo an owl. Poorly done, Sam. Poorly done. As the train slowed down in the approach to King's Cross, Harry thought that he would never want to leave it less. He even wondered fleetingly what would happen if he simply refused to get off the train, but remained stubbornly sitting there until the 1st of September, when it would take him back to Hogwarts. When it finally puffed to a standstill, however, he lifted down Hedwig's cage and prepared to drag his trunk from the train as usual. Ash, Linz, Sharks, Liberty, thank you. Tuna, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, you all. You're the light of my life. (laughs) When the ticket inspector signaled to Harry, Ron, and Hermione that it was safe to walk through the magical barrier between platforms 9 and 10, however, he found a surprise awaiting him on the other side. A group of people standing there to greet him who he was not expecting at all. There was Mad-Eye Moody, looking quite as sinister in his bowling hat pulled low over his magical eye, as he would have done without it, his gnarled hands clutching a long staff, his body wrapped in a voluminous in a voluminous traveling cloak. Tonks stood just behind him, her bright bubblegum pink hair gleaming in the sunlight, filtering through the dirty glass of the s- station ceiling, wearing heavily patched jeans and a bright purple t-shirt bearing the legend The Weird Sisters. Next to Tonks was Lupin, his pale face. Next to Tonks was Lupin. His face pale, his hair graying, a long and threadbare overcoat covering a shabby jumper and trousers. At the front of the group stood Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, dressed in their muggle best, and Fred and George, who were both wearing brand new jackets in some lurid green scaly material. Run, Ginny, called Mrs. Weasley, sounding suspiciously like McGonagall, oops, hurrying forward and hugging her children tightly. Oh, Harry dear, how are you? Fine lied Harry, as she pulled him into a tight embrace. Over her shoulder, he saw Ron goggling at the twins' new clothes. "'What are they supposed to be?' he asked, pointing at the jackets. "'Fine as dragon's kin, little bro,' said Fred, giving his zip a little tweak. "'Business is booming. We thought we'd treat ourselves.' "'Hello, Harry,' said Lupin, as Mrs. Weasley let go of Harry and turned to greet Hermione. "'Hi,' said Harry. I didn't expect... What are you all doing here? Well, said Lupin with a slight smile, we thought we might have a little chat with your aunt and uncle before letting them take you home. I don't know if that's a good idea. Ooh, I think it is, growled Moody, who had limped a little closer. That'll be them, will it, Potter? He pointed with his thumb over his shoulder. His magical eye was evidently peering through the back of his head and his bowler hat. Harry leaned an inch or so to the left to see where Mad-Eye was pointing, and there, sure enough, were the three Dursleys, who looked positively appalled at seeing Harry's reception committee. Moderate poet, thank you very much for following. Thanks for jumping in.
Welcome to Scooter Patrol. Ah, hurry, said Mr. Weasley, turning from Hermione's parents, who had just greeted them enthusiastically, and who were now taking it in turns to hug Hermione. Well, shall we do it then? Yeah, you reckon so, Arthur, said Moody. He and Mr. Weasley took the lead across the station toward the Dursleys, who were apparently rooted to the floor. Hermione disengaged herself gently from her mother to join the group. Good afternoon, said Mr. Weasley pleasantly to Uncle Vernon as he came to a halt right in front of him. You might remember me. My name's Arthur Weasley. As Mr. Weasley had single-handedly demolished most of the Dursleys' living room two years previously, Harry would have been very surprised if Uncle Vernon had forgotten him. Sure enough, Uncle Vernon turned a deeper shade of puce and glared at Mr. Weasley, but chose not to say anything. Partly, perhaps, because the Dursleys were outnumbered two to one. Aunt Petunia looked both frightened and embarrassed. She kept glancing around, and though terif- as though terrified that somebody would see her, somebody she knew, see her with such company. Dudley, meanwhile, seemed to be trying to look small and insignificant, a feat at which he was failing extravagantly. "'We thought we'd like to have a few words with you about Harry,' said Mr. Weasley, still smiling. "'Yeah,' growled Moody. "'About how he's treated when he's at your place.' Uncle Vernon's moustache seemed to bristle with indignation, possibly because the bowler hat gave him an impression... Possibly because the bowler hat gave him the entirely mistaken impression that he was dealing with a kindred spirit, he addressed himself to Moody. I am not aware that it is any of your business what goes on in my house. I expect you're not aware the things that you're not aware of would fill several books, Dursley, growled Moody. Anyway, that's not the point, interjected Tonks, whose pink hair seemed to offend Aunt Petunia more than the rest put together, for she closed her eyes rather than look at her. The point is, if we find out you've been horrible to Harry, and make no mistake, we'll hear about it, added Lupin pleasantly. Yes, said Mr. Weasley, even if you won't let Harry use the felly tone. Telephone, whispered Hermione. Yeah. If we get any hint that Potter's been mistreated in any way, you'll have us to answer too, said Moody. Uncle Vernon swelled ominously. His sense of outrage seemed to outweigh even his fear of this bunch of oddballs. "'Are you threatening me, sir?' he said, so loudly that passers-by actually turned to stare. "'Yes, I am,' said Mad-Eye, who seemed rather pleased that Uncle Vernon had grasped this fact so quickly. "'Then do I look like the sort of man who can be intimidated?' barked Uncle Vernon. "'Well,' said Moody, pushing back his bowler hat to reveal his sinisterly revolving magical eye. Uncle Vernon leapt backward in horror and collided painfully with a, log- with a luggage trolley. Yes, I'd have to see that you do, Dursley. He turned away from Uncle Vernon to survey Harry. So, Potter, give us a shout if you need us. If we don't hear from you for three days in a row, we'll send someone along. Aunt Petunia whimpered piteously. It could not have been plainer that she was thinking what the neighbors would say if they caught sight of these people marching up the garden path. "'Bye then, Potter,' said Moody, grasping Harry's shoulder for a moment with a gnarled hand. "'Take care, Harry,' said Lupin quietly. "'Keep in touch.' 
Harry, we'll have you away from there as soon as we can, Mrs Weasley whispered, hugging him again. We'll see you soon, mate, said Ron anxiously, shaking Harry's hand. Really soon, Harry, said Hermione earnestly. We promise. Harry nodded. He somehow could not find the words to tell them what it meant to him, to see them all ranged there, on his side. Instead, he smiled, raised a hand in farewell, turned around and led the way out of the station toward the sunlit street, with Uncle Vernon, Aunt Petunia, and Dudley hurrying along in his wake. To everyone watching this, I hope you will join me again tomorrow. We are playing Dungeon World. Y'all get to play. Tomorrow we are choosing our uh, our characters. We're doing our character building. Um, that is the end of this book. And I can't believe that it has let me do other things like this this cool Dungeon World project. So if you are interested at all in, um, in role-playing games or just in long-form stories like this one, we shall see. Um, but uh, I am running it for chat. You're going to be able to join one of three teams via Mixer. Um, that one, unfortunately, there's no way to do it with like two different sources at once. So that one, the control panel is entirely going to be on Mixer. But join me there tomorrow. Um, you'll be able to follow along in the Discord and uh, and uh, help out there if you wish. Uh, but the control panel for the actual play of it is all going to be on Mixer. Um, for everyone watching this, thank you so much. These have been an amazing five books. We have read five books just in the Harry Potter world from this. Five of those books, plus The Great Gatsby, plus we're, you know, halfway through uh, Frankenstein. How crazy has this been? This has been amazing. So, thank you so much. Next week, uh, 22 is asking next week, are we going to start book sex? Book, see, your name got me. Your name got me. 22. Um, next week, are we going to start book six? And yes, indeed we are. That is our plan. Um, I would anticipate, I have not read this, so you can't hold me to it. I would anticipate maybe three chapters because the first ones tend to be pretty short. Um, stop oofing at me. Knock it off. I read and you listened. <laughs> Gross, Gross Simmer. We did it. Well, you read and I listened. Yeah. Y'all listened, but y'all were here to to listen as I went on. Thank you so very much for for watching, and uh, yeah, I do really hope that you will join me for uh, for tomorrow. This it's a very interesting project, um, and we actually found um, on our Wednesday streams where I stream um, uh, a, a a video game RPG called Disco Elysium. We found out that there is a thing in that that actually um, is is a, it's sort of a, a part of the plot. Um, there is a thing in Disco Elysium that is virtually the same as what I'm trying to do with um, Chat Plays Dungeon World. So, join me for that. It's going to be very cool. Uh, Louise Allen uh, says, Thank you, Sam. Absolutely fantastic. When I sit back and close my eyes, I can tell. I can't tell it's one person. <laughs> that is a wonderful praise, and I appreciate it very much. Liberty Grace says, Someday, Sam, when you're a famous voice actor, don't forget us little people. Y'all aren't, aren't little people. Y'all are the people. It's y'all. <laughs> you are the ones. <laughs> You are my people. <sighs> it feels good. It feels good to uh, to have completed another one. And uh, MMP is saying, next book is my favorite. So I hope some of you are in the same boat. We have just finished with my favorite book. I remember it fondly, and I thought it went great. Um, I had a couple of, of uh, odd ones in there, of course. But, you know, overall, fantastic 
series of streams. We went a, we went a full hour over. We're, we're running at three hours right now. So I'm going to fetch my lovely assistant. And it's beans time. It's, it's beans time. It's time for beans. I'll be right back. This is assuming she's available. Hold on a moment. She's been very busy lately. I'll be right back. It's beans time. I've got a tiny bit of water. We're going to try and make it happen. Are you ready for some beans, y'all? These beans are in honor of those who have uh, who have helped me to spread the word about this. These are the, these are dedicated to the people who have um, helped me. I hate that. I hate it. How dare you? The people who have helped me to um, uh, to 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 spread the word about this. People who have um, whether it's bringing it up in, with your groups like Gwen Dog, thank you very much, or just told your friends who want more Harry Potter in their life, or who don't read enough and feel like they want to get into it somehow. Ooh, hold up, time out, Liberty Grace with a good idea. Sam, can you read the original Peter Pan? That sounds like a good one. That sounds like fun. There would be a bunch of Stuart in that one. <laughs> oh boy. Oh wait, hold on. We've got it. We've got. It looks like it came from somewhere up above. Uh, Cloud Kicker. Okay. Liberty Grace. Well done. Well done. Letting that letting that uh, that idea go where it needs to be. But uh, or go to the person that had it. Uh, but Cloud Kicker. Yeah. Peter and Wendy. Um, yeah, if you want to personal message me with that, well, I guess <laughs> in my head, every every written word is in a PDF because that's what I use for most of everything. If it is a PDF, I doubt it. You, it's an original copy. The original, <laughs> the original copy of Peter and Wendy, probably not a PDF. Okay, I will have to find a PDF of it somehow and I will make that happen. Go to the library. Uh, at least I'll, I'll, I will add it to my, my sort of voting list and we'll see sort of where it falls in that. But... That one sounds great. Sounds right up, right up our alley here. Um, and uh, Odd Man Two, I believe that's a host. So thank you very much. All right. Hmm. Okay. Here we go. Let's start with our beans. I need my hat. I need my special blindfold hat. Gwendog says, my friend is starting to write his second book, and I suggested he listen to this to get his literary hat on. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun, and uh, I, I, do I do this occasionally for my own writing, because I, I am a, a screenwriter, as well as the various other wackadoodle things that I do. Um, and it can be really helpful in uh, trying to keep your character voices distinct, to actually read them out loud, because you get a sense for like, oh, wait a second, these are starting to sound all the same. Sorry, I I'm ready. Show them. I'm ready. Wow. Oh, now I'm. I am before Sam or after Sam. What do you mean? Ah. What was that? What did you just do to my face? You just like <laughs> I gave it the old Tarzan, like. Uh. Okay. I don't. Let's see. Cass is the beans master. I'm gonna try not to look at chat for this one. Go ahead, as I describe the the palette. That I am encountering here. What did you try and guess me? what I got? What did you say I was? Like Tarzan? No, like just usually. My oh, I'm just lovely assistant. Lovely assistant or special agent cast. Um. Okay. So what I'm getting here, it's a bad bean for show. Uh -oh. Um. 
Although it doesn't taste like any of the bad beans I've had before. It's got kind of a dirt flavor to it. Um, there's maybe the slightest hint of some of that um, kind of green pepper type flavor that they, they apparently have been using as a surrogate for grass. Hmm. I'm starting to wonder if they've got essentially like three bad flavors and then just combine them differently to make it to make the bad beans. Well, have you read the, instru the instructions? The ingredients? ingredients? I have not. Hmm. There's not much of that kind of savory. There's a little bit of bitter. Natural and artificial flavors. This and is the vinegar. one thing that I never wanted to also hear vinegar. natural flavors involved in. Also vinegar. Also vinegar. All right. Okay. Uh, I gotta give it my guess. Let's see. I'm gonna go with. Actual worms in here. I mean, I, I do think it's gonna be worms. Yeah, it's got kind of the dirt and grass thing going. So I'm gonna go with worms. It is spoiled milk. Spoiled milk. I was really trying to not to make a face when it, you were describing it there, but it does not smell like doesn't smell like spoiled milk either. But it does not <laughs> taste like spoiled milk at all. Ash says you've got the worst palate ever. Yeah, and the bean sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, try smelling your hands between the beans to help cleanse your palate and neutralize your taste buds. Is that a thing? What? What is that? What are you talking about? Ugh. McQuayquay, can can you can you make it like just more gentle? I just need I need your bedside manner to be better with your with your tallying. I need, I need a better bedside manner from your ruthless Look, scorekeeping. Us teachers. We give you the real deal, whether you want to hear it or not. Not, not is the you, answer on this one. We hope that you improve. Based on <laughs> Rachel says <laughs> Sam is a trash palate confirmed, and uh, at this point, I, I, I give um, three, two, one, and in a moment, I'm sure we're going to be seeing Tuna Sunday coming in with hashtag trash palate. I'm sure. Smell, smell some coffee beans and drink some milk. Yeah, unfortunately, that one was supposed to be spoiled milk, and I didn't get any of that, so I'm not sure it's going to help, Linz. All right, I'm ready for a, I'm ready for a new one. We got coffee beans. Oh, that's right, yeah. Okay, I'm ready for the second one. All right, so, as I said before, tomorrow we are doing our character creation for Chat Plays Dungeon World. So, if you like D&D, or you're just terribly bored, uh, join me tomorrow. Uh, it is not at the regular time. We're going to be doing it earlier in the day. It's going to be 1 p.m. my time, and we usually do these at 6 p.m. my time. So it is going to be five hours earlier than whatever time this is typically for you. I don't... But join me for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very cool. It was a great shot. Usually I can't get it to focus, or it gets keyed out even though it's a white bean or popcorn. <sighs> so rude. Cloud Kicker, I am Pacific. Yep. So 1 p.m. Pacific time, and on the Discord, I include um, and honestly in the in the description box for Mixer, I include um, time zone converters. So if you need to figure out what time that is for you, you can do it there. This one was definitely a good bean. Good. Fruit flavors, acidic. I'm getting you know kind of berry flavors. Um, flavor. Good luck. Yeah, I know. Banana, a flavor I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, y'all get ruthless with the, with the, uh, you go trash palette. Oh, go, go trash palette. Hmm. Fortunately, it's definitely supposed to be a good one. And it, honestly, it's reading pretty decent as well. I'm not getting any, hmm. 
I'm not getting any banana flavor, so I don't think it's that one. Strawberry, I didn't think was even there. Well, the the, the, the smoothie got got bananas in it. Um, I think it's gonna be something more acidic, like like uh, um, strawberry. I'm gonna go with strawberry, even though I don't think that's a thing in this one. But I don't think it's tutti frutti. I don't think so. Go ahead. Is it Peach. strawberry? Peach. Dang it. All right, Michaela. She didn't even guess that one. It was such a great shot. No, she's she's guess. just going to be the, the one that puts it on the board ruthlessly. You got Zero out of two. Here's, here's the tactic. You have to wait until he says if it's a good or a bad bean, and then you make your guess. Okay? <laughs> For everybody guessing, that's what you do. I think that's cheating. Cheating. I think this is this is sort of a literary exercise for they me in a way. So their they get to see it and then I get to describe it. Yeah, perfect. You describe it terribly. <laughs> I know. I do a good job. I do a good job <laughs> to describe it. All right. I'm 0 for 2. Not a great one today, huh? That's all right. We're finishing on a high note um for for me as far as the read goes and a high note for you as far as beans goes was that really only two because it was i gotta quit running my mouth just kidding we're back next week with uh with um harry potter um it's gonna be earlier in the day i am shooting for uh i'm, I'm shooting for two hours earlier um, starting next week. Uh, we're going to see how that works for a little while, but I know we've got a bunch of people in the UK who cannot participate because it's too late in the day. So, um, count on next week starting uh, two hours earlier than this one typically does. So, be there. Or, I was going to say be square, but that's not even true. Just uh, catch the VOD. <laughs> Alright, definitely a bad one. It's got a lot of that, a lot of that green pepper badness. It's got a lot of that. It's got some of that bad, bad, savory kind of thing going on. Mm. Oh. It's okay because it doesn't have that that vomit like back of the throat tickle. I got to think of a name for that. There needs to be a name for the, the vom flavor. Not that you can necessarily, not that it's the taste, but it's something chemically that happens at the back of your, your tongue that's like, hey, time to yarts. Hashtag it's yards in time. Um, hmm. Oh, I don't think Earthworm is in this batch. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it snuck up on me. Snuck up on me a little bit. <laughs> I was trying to slug the last bit of it back, and it got me. Um. Ooh, eyes are watering a little bit. I'm an adult. Is it the 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 um uh the dishwater one? That's what I'm um, dishwater. Nope, booger. Booger? You cheated, didn't you? Huh? You looked at McCoy's boy's guess, didn't you? No. It's good thing you didn't look at Rachel's guess because That one was worse than <laughs> that one, that one that one's sort of the finish on that one. Sort of a... Uh, Oh God! What's that line from The Office? Sort of an, an oaky, an oaky afterbirth. <laughs> Ooh, the hork! 
I like that, Gwen Doug. That's like that's got to be the name of a. Is that how that word is spelled? Nope, I, that's not how I've been spelling it. I tend, I generally spell Hork H O R K, um, but the Hork with a Q U E sounds like a great villain for people to fight in our in our Dungeon World Ew. campaign. Oh, Cloud Kicker, <laughs> you've done a very very bad thing. <laughs> Cloud Kicker, Cloud Kicker, you're fired. Okay, I'm ready. Oh. <laughs> Very bad beans a things. Bonus hair. A bonus hair? Yeah. Oh, good. Interesting. <laughs> she just sort of threw it against my upper lip like I'm like I'm a <laughs> basketball hoop. So just shove my chin out from underneath it like a cash drawer. Alright. Ow. It's a good one. Alright. Very vanilla y. Um the question is always, is it marshmallow or is it birthday cake or like cake or whatever? Um, the name of the bean is birthday cake. Okay. The name of the extant bean. Let's see. I think I'm getting more than just sort of that like sugar vanilla flavor. So I'm going with birthday cake, this one. I don't think it's marshmallow. Ishmallow. Dang it. How do you know? Were there no dots? Maybe it was it just was brown. Why would it? Why would it? Why would a schmallow be brown? Oh, toasted marshmallow. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes sense. Uh, Liberty. That's a good call. I probably should be posting it just about everywhere, shouldn't I? Yeah, I'll let people know. Um, I will do that. You know what? I'm going to set my alarm to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow as opposed to tonight, because if I do it tonight, then it'll get buried under stuff tomorrow morning. Okay. Let's give it the old, what do we think? Yerp, 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 yerp. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Gotta find my zero. Boom. All right, we good. We good. All right, I'm I'm 0 for 4. Exciting. Super good. Super good about that. All right. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready for the last bean. We need some like gallows music to start playing. Dum 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 dum. Dum 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 Okay. Palette go wonky. <laughs> McQuickray says, sneak peek into the life and times of Sam. If he doesn't write it down, he doesn't remember. It's true. Uh, for anybody who is finds themselves in a similar position where, you know, you've got a, a bad memory or just have a hard time sort of collecting all the stuff that you need to do into a manageable form, try Kanban, K-A-N-B-A-N. Look that up and uh, honestly, you can just Google image it. It's a pretty simple not concept. It, it's, not, it's, it's not a company, <laughs> but it's not sponsored. Um, no, just remember to take those, those two rules seriously. Um, minimize the things that you are doing at one time and don't overfill your board. Okay. I don't... Oh. A pretty gentle day today. Nice to finish it off with some chocolate pudding. 
Final answer? Yeah. Yes. It looked a little reddish, so I was hoping it was a Dr. Pepper to really just like throw you for a loop. But And today, folks, not only five. one out of five. Oh. I got one out of five. Today, I get to go to bed knowing I did not goose egg this particular beans competition. <laughs> And that is it for today, folks. We are at three hours and 15 minutes, my longest stream yet, but it's been great. It's been fun. And next week we shall be continuing on our um, on our, our quest through the Harry Potter series. I said next week and not tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow's a different quest. Um, but uh, yeah, help me to create characters tomorrow. And then um, you'll be able to join one of those three teams to play as one of those three characters. Um, and uh, next week we'll be starting with book six, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I am signing off. That's it for me tonight. Thank you so very much. I'll be hanging out in in uh, text form in the Discord for a little while uh, once I've got this stuff kind of shut down for the night. Got to break down my my setup here, but thank you very much. I hope you're having a great week. Adios. Adios, everyone. Stay home. Get groceries once a week, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Bye-bye.